Uh, yeah, hi. Listen, uh, Dr. Bill, uh, warm Mountain Dew, that, that's just not the way you're supposed to consume your Mountain Dew. Uh, it's, it, it, I'm, I'm no doctor or anything. Uh, I mean, you, you apparently are ostensibly a, a doctor, but, uh, uh, Mountain Dew should, should be chilled, uh, before you drink it. Uh, warm Mountain Dew does not not sound like the sort of thing a healthy man would would drink. Uh, it's uh, kind of weird, uh, a very strange thing to do. Uh, warm Mountain Dew. Uh, see what I did there? Uh, do the do. Uh, yes, the, the tagline. Oh, it's it's very uh, very entertaining and it's it's taglineliness. Uh, but, but Dr. Bill, it's, uh, I mean, I know real life with Dr. Bill is a very useful and entertaining portion of Back to the Bins, but, uh, bottom line is, uh, you're grossing out your co-hosts and your, your listenership. So, uh, in conclusion, uh, don't drink warm Mountain Dew, Dr. Bill. Hello, this is Russell Bragg, the host of the DC Comics Presents show. I just wanted to congratulate Back to the Bins on reaching 200 episodes. I doubt I am the only one, but I have listened to each and every episode, all 200 plus the holiday specials or character specials you've done, and I've enjoyed each and every one of them. Uh, Just for fun, I went to iTunes and the, the Back to the Bins site to check on a few facts. Of course, Scott Gardner has been there since the beginning. I do wish he could be on more episodes today, but I understand with work and everything, some things just aren't possible all the time. Even I'm sure he'd rather be podcasting than working sometimes. But the first 18 episodes were covered by Scott and Alec Berry. And then up until episode 37... There is a what they tagged as surprise mystery guests, and then Michael Bailey became a permanent guest host with Scott. And all the way up to episode 86, Paul Spataro joined the gang, and then 10 episodes later, at episode 96, Dr. Bill showed up. It's been a long road, a very fun road for me to listen to every Saturday at work. Things will have to change a little bit for me because I don't work Saturdays anymore. So I may be listening on Sundays now, if I can stand it that long to wait. I may just be working around the house and listen to Back to the Bins. Anyway, congratulations, guys, and here's to another hundred. Back to the Bins. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 200 of Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spataro, and I am joined by the only, other than Alec Berg, regulars that have ever appeared on this show. <laughs> I'm here with Scott Gardner. Hey! Mike Bailey. Hey! And Dr. William Robinson. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, Barry. His, his name was Barry, but I like I liked Alec Berg. That was, that was nice. Oh. Alec Berg was from Seinfeld. <laughs> okay. I just got the, the name confused. But you know what? Since he, since he didn't want to come back for episode 100, I'll assume he didn't want to come back for episode 200. And uh, the hell with him. Yep. What is he yeah, now? Like 15? 
Yeah, is he allowed no. to stay up late enough to he, record? He was. He's been invited multiple times. So yeah. <laughs> now, does he respectfully decline, or does he just ignore the invitation? Uh, I get nothing at all, so I don't know, you know, if he's living or dead. So, yeah. well, I, I you no know, as, as as great as the show was, Scott, there is something uh, you did something that I would never do, and that's co-host with anybody that is under the age of eighteen, uh, simply because we live in a Law and Order SV. <laughs> I don't know. Just, <laughs> don't, don't. It just feels weird. Yeah, which which is I suspect why things went the way they did but that's ancient history his father probably said what are you doing with like a 40 year old man get the hell right yeah exactly (laughs) we're talking about funny books dad and that's when you hear like in superman the movie stop telling lies (laughs) (laughs) so what what was that 18 episodes that way oh god i don't you you remember better than i do i think think you're right i think it yeah i think it was about 18 episodes i think you did 18 that way then you did 15 to 20 with kind of whoever you can get around right and then, and then mike came on and the rest is history i basically i invited the best and the brightest of the podcasting world and none of them showed up so i wound up with mike wow you know i just i just remember this email that looked like a drunk man wrote it begging me to come on so uh recollection no it's really funny uh, Scott and I have talked about this before, but it's an anniversary episode, so so it can be brought up again, because why not? Uh, Scott emailed me and asked if I want to ask, asked, because I can speak, asked if I wanted asked. to be on the show. Asked, yeah. you a question. <laughs> I expect an answer. Um, and we uh, we hop on Skype, and the first thing I see is at the time, instead of whatever creepy crap he's trying to voiced upon us now on Skype with his uh, profile picture, it was Dr. Occult. Right. And my my first words to him were, wow, you have, an, a, doc, you have a Dr. Occult avatar. And I think I am like one of the first people that got that right. Yeah, that he is, else thought it was Dick Tracy. Mm-hmm. But I recognized it, because I think it's from the Who's Who entry, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, and then I noticed that he lived like an hour from me, and you would start hanging out all all the time every weekend grabbing a beer yeah for like that year and a half we like hung out twice uh no it three was the times beginning, it was the beginning of a beautiful bromance and that, now how far apart from each when you lived in georgia how far apart did you guys live uh, about an hour. Say, like an hour yeah it was about, about an hour, hour. Oh, you kidding me? If I lived an hour away, Missy would be getting pissed because I'd be coming over for dinner all the time. <laughs> like, Paul's at the door again. Can you can you get him rid of him so I could turn on the lights and let it be known we're home? I think it was just a you know, one of those thing. things. Yeah, it was scheduling. It was one of those things where it was like just far enough away that we couldn't do it. But more than anything, I think it was for me. I, I don't think I, I appreciated it enough at the time. And if I'd have known that, you know, within a very short while of us meeting and getting to know each other that I'd be leaving, then I would have definitely made much more of an effort for us to get together more often than we did. I actually, I have great regrets about that, to be honest. Yeah, but we, we caught that movie, and then we went to the uh, that, that comic show together. That was a lot mm-hmm. of fun. Yeah, so. That's what I really miss. I, I miss going to the to the one-day shows in Atlanta and, and being wingmen for each other. That That was a lot of fun. I really miss that. Absolutely. Yeah, the show this week didn't have quite enough wingman opportunities. There really wasn't as much in the way of back-issue bins to dive into as I hoped for, and I didn't see any 25-cent bins. 
No. No. I, I didn't find any. I didn't even see any 50-cent bins for that matter. The best we saw, I think, were the dollar bins. Yeah, the dollar bins were pretty good, but the 50-cent the bins, I, I did find one or two, but those were, I mean, they were pure crap. But there were some good dollar bins. I actually got a couple of really good scores out of dollar bins. So. And then we ran into a big fan. Yeah. You know, what's funny is I've been trying to find him on Facebook because I know he was a member of the of the group, or at least he knew me from, from Facebook, but I can't find him. So I don't know if I'm not spelling his name right or what. So, Aiden, if you're listening to this, shoot us a line again because I, I can't seem to find you. I want to I wanted to tag you in the in the pictures that we took together. What was his last name? I don't remember. That's that's the thing. I don't know that he said. I think he just introduced himself as Aiden. I, I could be wrong, but I remembered his first name. And I'm really bad with names, but I remembered his first name was Aiden. Uh, but I can't seem to find him in either the Two True Freaks group or you know in my friends list. So I I don't know because I we we took several pictures together and I wanted to tag him and I wanted to thank him again for you know his very generous gift, but uh, I can't seem to find him. And then he went on to stun the crap out of the rest of us with, uh, what, with Paul's help, right? Yeah. Because you, because you, <laughs> Hero got it, was getting a little too big of a head. I had to point out that, that I helped him. <laughs> yeah, because we're just standing there in a circle. And all of a sudden, Aiden comes up and, and he's like, say, and he's just naming all of us and he's shaking our hand. And he's, he, he's, you know, oh, Dr. Bill, oh, I've got some warm Mountain Dew for you. How's Alvin doing? I'm going, <laughs> I'm getting a little freaked out now. I need an adult. No, wait, I am an adult. Now you know how Matt Hunsworth felt when you when you <laughs> when, you, when your bromance started. It's not. Oh my God! Come on, Just admit be- it. You love Matt. No, I don't. Why don't I you like, love Matt? <laughs> I like Matt. <laughs> I really like you, Paul. You make a good breakfast. <laughs> All I can say is, when Matt Hunsworth comes up missing, you're going to be the first person that the cops are coming to talk to, dude. Only if his Gorf machine's gone. See, that's that's the uh, cop show thing that I really want uh, to see. You know, they, they, they've done all kinds of other like trying to be on the cusp of, of new media. Why hasn't like a podcaster been killed? I mean, apparently I was killed on an episode of uh, Castle. Yes. Uh, but uh, <laughs> probably help if I actually watch that show. That's all right. It's all right. But uh, you should you should know uh, Aiden, Mike, he works at Bailey's Comics. <laughs> I am not finding him in any of the other identities that he has assumed on Facebook. So I am useless to you. <laughs> oh, don't sell yourself short, Mike. You've been useless for a long time. <laughs> you know, if if I want this kind of treatment, I'll go visit my sisters. <laughs> uh, you know we love you. That's why you keep I know, coming back I for know. this abuse. <laughs> Plus, you know, the court order, so. <laughs> I'm not allowed within 1,500 miles of Georgia, I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I really, uh, I'm sorry. It's funny because it's like I was seeing all your pictures and the same weekend uh, Superman celebration was going on in Metropolis. Mm. So uh, I was seeing all the pictures of my friends going there and it's just like, I'm at work. <laughs> Yay. Aww. Aww. <laughs> well, we, so, the one thing we left off with on Sunday is that we're not going to let this go by and become a one-time only event and sadly for me that doesn't mean that everybody's going to come up here every time they're going to actually want me to travel sometimes uh and we were talking about possibly doing dragon con next year possibly doing you know something else i don't know uh you know the elliots talked about the dallas comic convention 
Right. But we, you know, the, the plan is that we will try to see if we can find some other event. I mean, I don't think we can do it too frequently, but maybe for next summer. And see if we can do something where we can, you know, possibly do something where the expenses aren't that crazy and just keep trying to, you know, make this at least, you know, hopefully we could do like an annual event where we get together and it's not going to break the bank for anybody. But, uh, yeah, you know, that's we'll what I was thinking. And annual or maybe uh, biannual, something like <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, Scott Reifen like started asking about Jekyll Con. I said, when's that in <coughs> December? I, I think every six months is probably more frequently than I'm going to be able to swing. Even right. though I would not mind it, it's just uh, you know, it's just the logistics probably don't work out. Right. Well, I mean, what we, you know, what I was also thinking was something like one big gathering, you know, per year or you know, about every year. Or so if if we could all swing it, and then you know, trying to get more organized with the you know, quote unquote, local stuff, because I'm thinking, I mean, we have a, you know, as many. Uh, friends of ours in the community as we have in the in the new york and like tri-state area and all that up there there's a lot of us you know in the you know in the relative region of uh, of georgia as well mm-hmm. so i i'm gonna start trying to take uh scott's idea a little more seriously about maybe trying to get to JekyllCon this year the problem with that isn't really location it's time of year because it's december i want to say it's like december 12th or something like that and that's mm-hmm. just a bitch of a time of year to try to do anything because you got that's, Christmas like right around the corner, you know? It's two days before my anniversary. Oh, is it really? Mm-mm. What better way to tell your wife you love her than to go to JekyllCon and leave her to in, in the peace and quiet of being alone? <laughs> you, you haven't uh, met my wife yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you haven't been married long enough. If you've been married long enough, then they'll say, yeah, yeah, go to JekyllCon. Get yeah, exactly. Get the hell, yeah, I think that was how I uh, wound up at EternalCon. Oh, you want to go off with your nerdy friends for an entire weekend and leave me in peace and quiet? Yeah, get the hell out of here. Yeah, I think that's how that worked, exactly. And and just, just for what it's worth, Scott, you know, you and I already discussed this, but I think it's worth repeating for the show because I, I found it very amusing. Is uh, While Scott was flying over, I sent uh, his wife a, a message saying, you know, don't worry, I'll keep him out of trouble. Or be available to get uh, to post bail. <laughs> and uh, her response was, don't worry if he gets into trouble. I have this huge comic collection to sell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when we were down uh, da- down in the basement, Scott was, t- uh, was t- talking to his wife. And I-, I yelled in the background, hey, the strippers are here. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure she appreciated that one. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just, you know, it was a great, great weekend. And... People will be hearing all sorts of clips from it. Uh, oh, you yeah. recorded it enough, it's going to be like everybody was there with us. Yep. Everybody that was, the was sleep. Everybody was sleeping with us. <laughs> everybody was eating with us. Well, once you've podcasted with somebody, you've podcasted with everybody else. They've podcasted. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just, just between Scott and Dave Weeder, then, we've podcasted with everybody. <laughs> What I want to know is how come every time I got the two times I got to go, I got up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, you were already in the bathroom twice. Be Scott, not me. Yeah, Scott. Just I was where two floors away time. in the comfort of my bedroom. Uh, well, it's it's a little known fact that that Scott has the bladder the size of a chickpea. So, well, I'm thinking, true. I'm thinking it's it's kind of like the uh, you know they say if you have women together long enough they sink their menses. 
<laughs> Something if you have middle aged men together long enough, they sink to, to they need to go to the Their prostates all become the same size. That's amazing. <laughs> I felt like your dog because I was I was outside walking around in in this in the basement going, Come on, come on. I did mention to you that there was a bathroom one floor up that you could use. And right? and I told you that I was afraid to go up there in the middle of the night. Well, one, because it's dark, and two, I wasn't sure. I, I couldn't remember like what floor you or your kids slept on. You no, know, sleep so in I, beds. No, not, you know, I didn't want to walk into a room. Oh my God, I'm sorry. <laughs> so I was, no, I'm we, we, down there going, come on, our come bedrooms are on the second floor. You were in the basement. The middle floor was available. Yeah, I I wouldn't have found it. I would have been. I should have just gone outside in the backyard like the dog. Yeah, pee on the tree. It's used to it. You killed my tree. But just just a great, great time. That's all I can keep saying. And uh, hopefully it's not too long before we do it again. Oh, yeah. I do have one question, though. When you guys were leaving, production number of saying goodbye from Muppets Take Manhattan? I don't know the scene of which you speak. <laughs> saying goodbye. You know where they're all leaving? You, you didn't see our goodbye video? No. We posted a goodbye. Bill and I saying goodbye. There's a video. The only the only video I saw was you and, and Bill saying hello like Arnold and uh, <laughs> and Carl uh, Weathers and Carl Weathers. So uh, well, we said goodbye like uh, Arnold and Edward Furlong. <laughs> you threw somebody in lava, <laughs> practically. Very close to it, yes. Okay, very good. Just, just curious. I have to watch this video now. It is very funny. It is posted. The funniest thing about that video is the is the guy in the background taking his smoke break at the at the diner who was just like yeah what whatever he t- he took that completely in stride which was very funny that's he was New watching York. SpongeBob that's, <laughs> that's <New York>. right <laughs> because it was blaring on his phone that's right. so you know what's a reenactment of a scene from a movie when you're watching SpongeBob so so like I started to say that I'm going to put you guys on the spot and I'm going to ask you to Without getting sappy, in in one one or two sentences, what does "Back to the Bins" mean to you in honor of its two hundredth episode? Start with who's the guy who's been on the longest, Scott. Um, it means taking the reins of something that 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 someone else created and and working really hard to you know to keep it going and and turn it into you know something special and something that means a lot to me and and, and working. You know, to to keep that going and you know make it kind of a fan favorite uh, show on the on the Two True Freaks feed, and then having it totally usurped by somebody else who <laughs> just cuts you right out of the equation entirely. Yeah, that's that's what it means to me. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. I'm gonna cry now. <laughs> All right, moving moving on along, Mike. <laughs> Uh, it, it, it used to it used to mean uh, talking about random comics uh, with your friends, uh, and now it's just talking comics with your friends because we know what they are ahead of time, uh, which which really isn't all that much different. I mean, it, I, I I feel bad about this show because you know it, it you know Scott and I it's not like Scott and I had a huge fight as the tabloids would have you believe, and I would have <laughs> videoed it if you did. Um, though, please call me Caitlin. Uh, but, um, no, uh, you know, it just kind of became the casualty of our lives going in completely separate directions. And you, you guys have been more than gracious 
uh, with making me feel at home every time I do come back to do an episode. Uh, and and yeah, that's a little sappy, but it's it's the truth. It, it it it's talking comics with your friends. And out of the four people, you know, the the three people I'm talking to right now, I've got to meet two of you. I'm hoping to meet Paul someday. It will um, happen. I don't know no, why I'm it sh- will happen. I'm looking forward to Bill coming back uh, through uh, with work so we could go back to that uh, Cajun Chinese place, which was just <laughs> so damn good. Uh, you know, it's funny. I'm going to be in that area uh, tomorrow night with my wife's birthday plans. So, uh, mm. we're, you know, that, if you – That's the Sugar Mill or Sugar Loaf or something? Sugar Loaf Parkway. Yeah. So Sugar Loaf Parkway. I am saying this. if It's a little expensive, but – if everybody comes to the Atlanta area, we all have to go to medieval nights together. That sounds like a blast. Uh, now, that, I just want to point out that's a completely different parkway than Pinchaloaf Parkway. That's that's somewhere <laughs> entirely different. That's that came after the Cajun Chinese, <laughs> <laughs> but just several blocks away from Snapaloaf. <laughs> all right, Bill, which, next which is a couple hook. miles off of Smack a Bitch. So. <laughs> There you go. I'm next. Well, I think I I have to go to some advice that was given by one of my boyhood idols, and that comes from from William Shatner. And I think I need to get a life. <laughs> I think you need to get a book. That's what you need to get. <laughs> <laughs> hey, no, no, I'm I'm just kidding. No, I'm I, I just you know I've said it before. Because you guys just in, invited me out of the blue, not and me. well, Scott did. <laughs> hey, come on in. Would well, you we say not say. me? Is that what you said? <laughs> yeah, I said. I don't want this guy here. He's horning in on my stick. I was still new. I didn't have enough security to to feel like you can invite somebody else in. <laughs> hey, what's this guy? <laughs> but things worked out for the best, didn't they? Absolutely. I think it still it's been great. remains to be seen, but it 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 gives me hey. It, it gives me something to do. It keeps me out of trouble. It occupies my time. I mean, it's, you know, it keeps you off the streets. Yeah. I don't have to pour myself out anymore, you know. <laughs> Although my wife, you know, much like uh, your wives are, and significant others are, you know, is this going to start making any money? What are you doing with this? Are, right, yeah. You know. Any day now. It's like, yeah, seven years later, I'm still getting that question. So there's money in this podcasting thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I went to New York, didn't I? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I Just to go to me now, uh, I feel like uh, the old Saturday Night Live bit with John Belushi where he was the thing that wouldn't leave. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, like we talked about on Saturday Night, we got into a conversation about podcasting and how we got involved in it and all of that. And I, I was saying, you know, from the point I discovered comic book podcasts, I knew that I wanted to to be involved in this. And, uh, you know, I just thought it was a great way to find like-minded people who I could be friends with. And it's exceeded all expectations. I really have never expected to have friends like I do. I never expected to be able to have a weekend like we just had. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's, like I said, it's so far beyond what I've expected and so much better than I ever anticipated. Uh, I hope that we're entertaining people. Uh, but honestly, that's the secondary thing because it's just that I have so much fun when I'm doing this, and it's such a, a just a great thing, and it's, it's a great way of being with friends. And and you know, I, I hate when you guys aren't available to be on, but when you aren't, I've seized the moment to 
be able to talk to other friends and, and stretch out more and, and make other relationships with people. And, and that's all paid off and, you know, just incredible ways that this I'm kind of humbled by the show a little bit. And uh, I know that it's, you know, that we bring our personalities to it, but I still do really believe uh, that it's it's more a product of the format than it is of us because it's gone through so many iterations and it's always been good no matter who was on it. So uh, I, I don't take really any credit for what we do as, as, as being, you know, too overly responsible for it other than the fact that I just try to get it out every week. Uh, you know, I, I give I tip my hat to you and Alec for for creating the uh, format, even though it's been tweaked a little bit, uh, because I do think the format wins out over everything else, and it's just been it's been a great ride for I guess about three and a half years now that I've been doing it. Uh, it's been that long already. Wow. I'm trying to remember. I, I I think it's been about that. I'm not even sure, but uh, yeah, it's got to be. It's got to be, and. Uh, uh, hopefully it'll just keep going because I have no desire to stop. I've been trying to think of how how long the show itself has been running, and I honestly I've forgotten at this point. I'm not sure how how show, how old the show itself it, uh, even at least is. 2009. Yeah. That's when I was first on it. So. So about six years. Yeah. Wow. That's that's hard to believe. No, I I I agree with what you say though. I I think. There's something in the format. I, I think that you know we really hit on on something special with this particular format. You know that that really uh, it, it appeals to people for one, but also it's uh, it's a very adaptable format, and I like that. I think it works really well. The first back to the bins was posted Wednesday, April fifteenth, two thousand nine. Wow. Okay, so all, just uh, six years in about two months. Wow. Yeah. When when was episode eighty six? That was the first one I was on. Can you see when that was put up? Yep. Give me a second. Um, Just the fact it, that you remember the number—that's kind of scary. Well, it shows you how much the show has meant to me. In all honesty, it really. Oh, is. that one's that one's been deleted from the archives. <laughs> <laughs> uh, February twenty ninth. Wow, Mike Bailey's birthday, two thousand twelve. Now, do you remember the book that you covered, or we covered? We did not cover a book. You did not cover a book. It was yeah. about three oh. hours talking about just comics. So it was a shoot-the-shit episode. Yes. And then I could tell you in episode 87, I covered Giant Size X-Men number three. No. Two? No. Oh, excuse me, Avengers. I said X-Men. Thank you. Giant Size <laughs> Avengers number three. Sorry. Mike, first episode you were on, what did we cover? I covered that issue of Superman where... It was explained why he was hypnotizing people into thinking that Clark Kent. Oh, that's oh, right. That's and uh, I honestly, at one point, let's see if I still had it. Is I that the one where he's it. on the cover and he's he's Superman, but he's got he's got the glasses, glasses on. on, he's pointing, he's going, "Look, look, you dumb bitch! I'm Clark Kent here." Is that the one? <laughs> yes, that 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 would be uh that would be the one. I forget the one you did. At one point, I had uh I guess I lost the document. I was going back and listening to our shows to try to write down because outside of the untold legends of Batman and the two treasury books we covered and the, um, that, uh, Hugo Danner episode, everything else is a mystery until you start listening to it. Uh, and I was trying to figure out what we covered and when. So, uh, and apparently I I had a master so much about that. (laughs) Yeah. I lost mine too. So I guess I'll have to do it again. You know, back when the old uh, 
message board was up, somebody was keeping track of that. Right. Uh, but that's dead. So. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, that I, was just recently announced that uh that the old forum is uh going kaput at the end of the what was it, the end of the year, I think. It's really? uh it's officially going away, which just makes me sad. Well, it's it's kind of an outmoded thing. I mean I understand why it makes you sad. I don't question that. But you know, out with the old in with the new. Speaking of yep. which, Bill, it's been good having you. What? <laughs> I'm joking. That's never get rid of you. Who else would let me abuse them the way you let me? <laughs> well, my wife abuses me. That's true. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Is that a joke or a cry for help? <laughs> help me. So, Bill, you came on in episode 96, which was August 11th, 2012. You remember your book? Iron Man 150. Correct. And on that one, Scott, you brought Torch of Liberty, and I brought the ever great. Brother Power oh, of the Geek, number one. I mm. still need to read Torch of Liberty because it's one of the few burned things that I've seen images from but never actually read the book. It's good stuff. I mean, it's Captain America, but it's good stuff. I like that. <laughs> well, you know, backing up to something that you mentioned, Mike, was the was the Hugo Danner episode, which remains both a, um, I hate to say fan favorite because I, I still don't like the idea of having fans. We have listeners, but... It is. Mm -hmm. It's something of a fan favorite episode. But also, I mean, that one's always going to hold a uh, very special place in my heart. And I I think yours as well, just because that episode led and I saw you tweeted this the other day. I mean, that episode led directly to the creation of Tales of the JSA. And uh, well, yeah, I mean, well, Mark Kambach, I always screw up his last name. I hope he doesn't take too much offense to it, was uh, selling a copy and it was a 1949 print. Uh, paperback and he, and it was like really like dirt cheap and I'm like you know I've got a copy but that cover is like it, it just felt like you know having an artifact at that point right. and when when I got it in the mail I was thinking about it because I was thinking about the episode we did about Gladiator and how we talked about just about everything you could talk about involving Gladiator and then I was thinking wow I actually have that Man God magazine now uh, finally got a copy of that and then I was thinking, one of my friends from high school, she took a, a college course at one point that was studying comic books, and they had to read that for their class. Oh wow! And I was sitting there thinking, well, I could talk about it with her too. It was just, this, it was just, it it had this like warm and fuzzy f- feeling inside. So that's why I, you know, posted that thing on Facebook. That you know, all everything else to the to the side, that is that is the grandfather details. Right. Which is kind of appropriate when you think about it, considering, you know, hopefully when we get things back up and running and we get past crisis and all that, we're going to be talking about uh, Iron Monroe. Most definitely. Yeah, I'm very so. much looking forward to that. Absolutely. Now, backing up for a second, you, you said you finally got a copy of the, the uh, Marvel, I forget what it is, preview or whatever, with Man God. When, when did you mm-hmm. pick that up? Uh, it was at a com. It was at one of the one day shows. My buddy Rudy had it in a- at his booth, and uh, I-, I I was like looking through his magazines, and I saw it, and I just snagged it. Uh, Isn't it pretty? Oh, it's a beautiful magazine. Yeah, it's, it's uh, the, the artwork art is just amazing in that. It's really sad that it didn't go beyond that. I know. Uh, so, but you know, <laughs> Roy Thomas, God love him, kept trying. So yeah, <laughs> he kept plugging away at it. Definitely. Well, what do you think, Paul? 
All right, I think it's time to jump into the book I've been asking you to do for six years. <laughs> so I, I'm going to give the synopsis, which is not too, too long. To be fair, Paul, th- there isn't much to this story. So, <laughs> No, but but I did do a synopsis. And then we'll, we'll go start going through it page by page, at which point we'll say, look at the art on this page. Look at the art on this page. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt. So anyway, I've been asking for the longest time that we would do all-new Collector's Edition C-56, which is Superman versus Muhammad Ali. Cue the applause. Oh, you said a book that you've been requesting a long time. I thought it was NFL Super Pro number one. That's what I read. That's number two on my all-time requested uh, list. Okay, I read Thank you, but I have all these notes. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and, and, and on that, I read that POS because Scott said we were going to do an episode about it, and then I think he just did that to punk me. Because <laughs> uh, God, it was awful. This isn't Kickers Inc. and the Captain Canuck retrospective. <laughs> Totally gonna do Spitfire. It's it's totally it's, gonna do Spitfire. You would have to do that one with that. Uh, what was that one that you did, Bill? Beasts, whatever it was. <laughs> Brute force. Brute force. Brute, yeah. <laughs> I would fit right in with NFL Super Pro. <laughs> so back to this. This was on sale December twelfth, nineteen seventy seven. It's got a nineteen seventy eight uh, date on it though. <clears throat> it's an oversized Treasury edition and went for the huge price of two dollars and fifty cents. The writing credits are Neil Adams and Denny O'Neill. It was penciled by Neil Adams. The inking was done by Terry Austin, Dick Giordano, and Steve Mitchell. Colored by Corey Adams. Lettered by Gaspar Saladino. Edited by E. Nelson Bridwell and Julie Schwartz. And the cover is credited to Neil Adams, Joe Kubert, and John Workman. And as I was saying earlier, uh, basically the cover was designed by Kubert when he was scheduled to be the artist for the book, but after he his uh, work on it got the kibosh, Neil Adams was happy enough with the layout that he just basically did his renderings in the layout that Kubert uh, had done. That's why he's credited on the cover as well. And so, ladies and gentlemen, your attention please. In the blue corner, wearing white trunks from Louisville, Kentucky, a true genius of the ring and champion of the people, Muhammad Ali. And in the red corner, wearing cape and blue tights from the planet Krypton, Kal-El fighting as Superman, also champion of the people. These battlers to meet in a scheduled 15 rounds of heavyweight boxing. The prize, a world, a green-blue pearl gleaming across immense blackness of the universe, teeming with life. Our story opens with Lois Lane, Clark Kent, and Jimmy Olsen walking walking ghetto streets. Lois and Jimmy are bickering until Jimmy's source proves reliable and they come across Muhammad Ali playing basketball with neighborhood kids. He agrees to an interview, but doofus Jimmy forgot to bring film for his camera. The scene is quickly disturbed by a teleporting alien. Clark makes a hasty retreat and Ali quickly shows off his fighting skills. Superman finds that there's an entire armada of alien ships orbiting Earth. The alien who greeted our heroes announces that he is part of a race called the Scrub and that they want to test their champion against Ali for reasons that just escape logic. Superman and Ali both volunteer to fight the uh, scrub champion and argue over who should represent the earth in order to show that they mean business the alien orders the destruction of st louis which superman thwarts but at the same time a conveniently uninhabited island in the pacific is destroyed by the aliens the superman and ali again start to argue over who should represent earth and are given 24 hours to fight each other in order to determine who will face the alien champion to make the fight fair the match will take place on the alien planet of Bodace, 
which orbits a red sun which will temporarily rob Superman of his powers. The two journey to Superman's Fortress of Solitude to train and use timey-wimey tomfoolery to extend that time to train. The Superman-Muhammad Ali match is broadcast on intergalactic television to thousands of other worlds, with Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen acting as a broadcaster. Really? Even with Cosell there, let me tell you, this was the first part of the story that strained logic for me. (laughs) When, When the match starts, although Superman puts up a valiant effort, it's clear that Ali is the superior fighter, and Superman takes a serious beat down. But being a true champion and hero, he refuses to give up, eventually resulting in Ali refusing to fight any longer. And only then does Superman fall face first onto the canvas. Preliminaries out of the way, Ali is now to face the alien champion, Punya. The alien leader then asks Ali to predict at what round the fight will end. Finally, in response to some serious threats, Ali states he'll hit the four. <laughs> Ali states he'll hit the floor in four, and then goes off on the kind of rant that made Ali famous even more than his boxing skills did. Meanwhile, Ali cornerman Bundini Brown makes his way into the alien compound and sabotages the space armada. But surprise, it isn't Brown at all, but a mostly recovered Superman in disguise. As this goes on, Ali and Hunya have started their battle, and Ali is encountering some difficulty. But being the greatest of all time, he fights through it, and as predicted, he knocks the alien champion out. While this has been happening, Superman has been battling the alien armada. After witnessing Superman's decimation of his forces, the scrub leader cries foul and decides to invade the now helpless Earth anyway. Just as he's about to give the go-ahead to his backup forces in a surprise move, Hunya becomes enraged at his dishonorable actions and takes him out with a tremendous punch. Superman and Ali come to terms with Hunya, who has become the new scrub leader, and the threat is over. The story ends days later with Ali and Superman having a private talk in which Ali calls him Clark Kent and proclaims, Superman, we are the greatest. End of story. Roll credits. Yay! Yay! Do you want to go through this page by page and then talk about our overall thoughts, or do you want to talk about our overall thoughts and then go through it? Eh, you know, six of one, half a dozen of the other. It, it don't really matter to me. Whatever you guys want to do. I'm gonna I'm gonna just give some general thoughts first, I guess, and I'm gonna say I think you hit it on the head, Scott, that this is so fondly remembered because of the artwork. Mm-hmm. Uh, the story does have a Bob Haney type silliness to it. Uh, you know, we're, we're ready to conquer your planet, but we'll just have our champion fight your champion. I mean, I think this this is almost uh, Earth, uh, America and Russia in Rocky Four. Yes. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it's just it's kind of silly. It's it's very very you know very surface. It, this this you know if you give any deep thought to it at all, it's just you know kind of silly. Uh, I I think that this is so fondly remembered and 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 is a, a a classic basically for three things for one the the wackiness of the concept that it's superman versus muhammad ali you know a real a real person and everything and that that's just it's such a far out concept cuz knowing nothing about it picking up the book and just seeing the cover you're like superman's going to knock his block off which is not at all what happens. Superman gets his ass kicked. It's great. You know, that's that's one of the things I really like about this. Okay, okay. Those are words that don't belong together. <laughs> Superman gets his ass kicked, and that's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's just it's it's the twist you don't see coming, you know? That's what I, I think that's really cool about, you know, this story. But, you know, the other two things I think that it really has working for it is you know, come on, Neil Adams, 
and the oversized format. So Neil Adams really gets a, a chance to shine and to to show off. I mean, he really gets a chance to to strut here because the sequence. Uh, I think my my favorite part of the entire book is where uh, Superman takes Ali to the Fortress of Solitude, and that shot where uh, where they walk in, and you you're getting this this great like up perspective shot of the the fortress and the the hanging uh, ship. You know, which I just noticed for the first time actually has a name on the uh, on the prow of the ship. I always wondered what ship that was supposed to be. Get but, you, know, but you, see, <laughs> you see the ship and you see the big dinosaur and all the other cool stuff he's got in there. I just I've always been fascinated by Superman's fortress and uh, and I love the way that the Adams illustrates it here. But doesn't he need I a think big penny? That's what it, what's that? Doesn't he need a big penny so he could be like Batman? <laughs> well, he's got the dinosaur. I think uh, if I'm all-star superman and this is gonna i'm not saying this to bait you scott but i think uh, morrison had it that it was the titanic see that's what i thought too yeah and i I had seen it illustrated in other books uh, off the top of my head i can't remember which ones maybe superman is amazing fortress of solitude i'm not sure but i that'll be episode 300 yeah yeah, (laughs) i wouldn't mind doing that one but I, I'm pretty sure I had seen it at other times where the artist had drawn it to kind of look like, you know, to kind of resemble the Titanic. Also, if I'm not mistaken, isn't the ship supposed to be hanging by chains? I just noticed it's not here. It's almost like it's hanging by anti-gravity or something. No, it's got some, well, it looks like there's a chain at the tail at the, because there's, there's chains from on the pterodactyl and then there's something hanging from the top of the ship too, it looks like. Oh, I see. Yeah. By the, not, by the flagpole in the back. Right, yeah. But I thought it was always, like, cradled by chains. Like, it was resting in, oh. like, a cradle of chains, if you know what I mean. What is that, what is that giant thing above it? A huge hostess Twinkie? <laughs> it's delicious. Yeah, I don't know. It's like the, the observation deck or something. I don't, yeah, I don't know what yeah. that is. It's really cool, though. But, yeah, I, I think that's what the book has going for it is, is Neil Adams' gorgeous artwork, the oversized format that shows it off, and the gimmick. I don't think it's about the story. As I said before we got started, I, I think in just about any other artist's hands of the time, uh, I, I just, you know, I don't think we'd still be talking about this book all these years later, you know? I, I think the art gives it a weight that makes the story work. Mm-hmm. I don't read it and say, oh, this story is stupid, but look at the beautiful art. I read it and I'm enthralled by it. And I think it's because the art actually almost lends it, – it, it counterbalances the silliness. Right. Mm-hmm. So, that, so that the silliness doesn't seem quite so silly. Well, I think it's very similar to uh, the, the issue you brought not long ago. I can't remember if it was Batman or Detective, but the, the classic – uh, Raza Ghoul storyline. You know, you, you brought that one issue mm-hmm. that was like the the conclusion of that. And when we were talking about it and kind of dissecting that story, we I think we all kind of universally came to the same decision that you know this is really great and everything, but isn't it kind of the Neil Adams that really makes it great? That if it was anybody else, is it really that great? I mean, it's a good story, but is it a great story? Nah, not really. It's the art. And I think you kind of got the same thing going on here, is that it's not a great story, but Adams's R elevates it to that level of, you know, it's a classic. And and all due respect to Denny O'Neill, I'm, I, you know, I'm coming to the conclusion that he's somewhat overrated as a writer, uh, because if you think of 
the Ra's al Ghul story is supported by the art. This story is supported by the art. And even the classic hard-traveling heroes, Green Lantern and Green Arrow, uh, there's a lot of really corny, heavy-handed messages in there. Right. So the art is really what makes those books. I don't, you know, I don't know if I'd go that because I mean, I respect him greatly, and I and I do think that he was a great writer. I think, how do I want to put this? I think it's more a, a sign that you know somebody was thinking. I mean, somebody paired him with the right people. You know what I mean? To to make it, you know, because con- that's the great thing about comics is that it is a fusion of story and art. You know, unlike say novels, you know, where you're just getting, you know, if the writer sucks, then the book sucks. You know, whereas with comics, you can, you know, you have that that uh, partnership to where sometimes maybe the story's not that great, but wow, the art really shorted up or vice versa. Maybe the art's a little weak, but you've got a really strong writer that, you know, kind of helps you out with elevating it, you know, to where maybe the art wasn't that great, but the story was fantastic kind of thing. And I, I think that's the great thing about comics. I don't know if that made any sense at all, but oh no, it makes total sense. <laughs> oh, yeah, makes total sense for once. It's it's. Uh, I I often find that uh, a story with beautiful art, where the story isn't that good, is more readable than a good story with really bad art. See, it's funny because I, I could be wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, but I think we've we you and I had this discussion one time, mm-hmm. and I think that we both found each other on kind of opposite ends of that because that's always been me. I've I've always even to this very day. That, to me, was the appeal of comics, was art. I'm still very art-minded. And what was it you that I was talking with that said you've always been more story-focused? Oh, I, I, I'm, I'm way more story-focused. And that's nothing against the artist, and it's nothing against the medium itself, because, you know, you can't have one without the other. You know, one is prose, the other is, you know, telling a story simply with pictures. And, you know, putting them both together is where things get really special. But from the very beginning... Uh, and I think this is why I am not as good at picking out inkers as you guys are, mm-hmm. is because I'm coming up from it from the story aspect, uh, which is why I couldn't, and this this is going to sound like a shot, but it's not, it's why I could not get through Rob Liefeld's Youngblood past like issue six or seven, because the story just kept getting worse. <laughs> and as right. the certainly wasn't kind of has. <laughs> Well, as long as the story, if I care about the characters, and, and, and really with, with with things that have been going on recently uh, with my favorite character, it, it really drives home the point that, you know, I'm into creators. I love John Byrne. I love Peter David. You know, I love Dan Jurgens, I love Jerry Ordway. But I will follow a character no ma- pretty much sometimes no matter who's working on him. And... Because of that, I think uh, it just it just puts me more into when I'm reading a book. Do I care about what's going on to the people in the book? And if you hook me with that, I'll stay. If you lose me, I'm gone forever. So I don't know if that made any sense. No, it does. It absolutely does. <laughs> well, you know, Paul, you were, you know you were talking about you know kind of like you know the legacy of Back to the Bins. I think that's been one of the the legacies of the show for me personally is by the nature of the show having to really examine and dissect books and as the format of the show is is you know changed here and there and we've taken a look at at you know classic books 
that I've actually read as opposed, you know, when we first started out, it was completely random un, you know, for me anyway, it was random unread books from my own collection, you know, so you never, it was potluck. You never knew what you were getting. And as the, the formats kind of changed here and there, we've definitely done some classics as we're doing now with this book that I had read before and kind of forcing myself to go back and, and reexamine some things that I've, you know, I've read before, especially books that I cherished I can definitely see that now to where, yeah, I, I have always been, you know, I've always leaned much more to the art side. And, you know, I'm struggling to think of a specific book off the top of my head, but I know that I've taken a look back at books that I, I cherish and, and, you know, from like from childhood or what, and I see them with new eyes and go, you know, this really is not that great. It's the art. You know, that that's what I love it for. And, uh, and I find that it's easier to come up with examples in my mind of books that have great art and mediocre storytelling. Because I don't want to make this sound like this is a bad story. It's not right. a bad story. It's a mediocre story. No, no, story. not at all. Uh, but it's great art with a mediocre story. And I can come up with numerous examples of that, some of which we've already talked about. It's much harder for me to come up with great stories and mediocre art. Yeah, yeah, it and, is and for Mike, me maybe personally. Maybe more of a story guy. Maybe you have some examples of that. I don't know. I'm, I know I'm putting you on the spot. Um. Yeah, you are putting me on the spot. <laughs> I apologize for that. No, no, it's okay. It's just you know there. It, it's funny what Scott says though, because you know he 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 go, he says he looks back at certain things and he finds that he doesn't like it as much, but somehow the art gets him through. Uh, I kind of have. I, I don't have that safety net. <laughs> because I'm a story guy who doesn't hold up I just it's, it's it's like my childhood has just died right in front of me again which is you know <laughs> me being over, it's me being over dramatic but it but it's still you know it, you know I've done where I've gone back sometimes I've gone back and the story was better than I thought it was right and then sometimes you go back and you're like why did I like this I mean was I high was it <laughs> you know was I hopped up on you know juju bees or something what the what, what was what was what was I like on a date? I mean, not that I ever read comics on a date, but still. <laughs> hey, excuse me. As much as I'm enjoying this, I have to return the page. <laughs> Go slower. I am going slower. No, turn the page. Oh. Yeah, you know, I you you posed me with a stumper, Paul, because I am really struggling to think of an example the other way around, where where. You know, a, a great story shored up an issue that I thought was just, you know, not good art-wise. I can't no, think I, of I'm, a single example off the top of my head. Well, I'm I not think sure. I can come up with one. Go um, ahead. Because I've been reading, um, for when we got together for Eternal Con, Tim Elliott gave me those Invincible trades. Mm -hmm. And he gave me one and two, and then four, and six, and eight. And I read one, one and two, and I'm like, oh, I... I I don't want to read four, but it's here. It's sitting in front of me. So now I'm I've I've read through all those, and there's a couple of those issues that they had guest artists, and I really didn't like the art, but I didn't care because I was so wrapped up in the story and wanting to know where it was going that it's like even though it was you know it's like well I don't really care for the art, but I just got to keep reading this. So now I've I've I'm all the way up to to trade eight. So now I just got to go find trade three and five. And damn you, Tim. Damn you to hell! <laughs> so, I mean, that's... For me, that's a recent e example to right. where the story is pushing me more than the art. 
I mean, I think we're going to find ourselves doing that a little bit, and I could be wrong, but I think we may find ourselves doing that with uh, the Korvac saga as we get further into it, because we start off with George Perez, yes. which is outstanding, yes. and then Perez comes off of it, and then you have some fill-in artists, so I think that may be the case. Um, yeah, it's funny to... you mention Avengers, because I, I actually, I was while you guys were talking, I was struggling to still think of examples, and the only one that really came to my mind was... Uh, you know, when I was doing my read-through of Avengers, a lot of the early issues of Avengers, I'm trying to remember specifically what artists. I want to say like Don Heck and did Tuska do some early issues too? Any, anything Tuska touched was not my uh, yeah see, was not and, my cup of tea. And you know, so I, I enjoyed the stories, you know, for their historical relevance. And in a lot of instances, they were really good. You know, they they at least it was you know world building and all that. But uh, a lot of those early issues, yeah, the art was really, you know, once Kirby was gone, a lot of the, the very early issues of Avengers was some rough stuff. And I uh, have to take into account with some of that, that some of that is uh, before the house style changed. The, the early Silver Age house style was much more simplistic than the later Silver Age. Right. So, you know, sometimes they suffer a little bit for that. Uh I'm just looking, you know, one, I'm looking at the episodes we've done recently, and one that comes up is the uh, the What If issue that Bill did for Secret Wars. It was kind of a fun story. It's far from a great story, but it was a fun story, but I, the artwork really was not my cup of tea. Oh, the the last issue that What If the Secret Wars had never ended or whatever the hell it was? Something like that, yeah. 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 That one, oh, I, that I just one thought of one. Me. Michael appreciate this. Mike, did you ever read Extreme Justice? Yeah, I actually have kind of a soft spot for that book, even though it was awful most of the time. Well, I mean, I loved the story. I really enjoyed the story yeah. that they were telling. I, I, you know, I, you know me. I'm a sucker for Team of Freaks, and that's kind of what that was. Was it was oh. such an oddball? You know, it's a pseudo Justice League title, but it was all oddballs. It was Booster Gold and Blue Beetle and Maxima and Amazing Man and I forget who the hell else. Captain Atom. Captain and eventually, Adam, an Amazing Zank Man, and Firestorm. Yeah. I mean, oh, Firestorm, that's right. Yeah, I forgot Firestorm was in there. And eventually, uh, Zan and Jaina from Super Friends, sort of. That, that book is a great example of me sticking with something because I like the characters. Like, I loved Captain Adam, and I loved right. Blue Beetle and Booster Gold. So I just kind of wanted to stay with them. Even though the artwork was... Oh, it was atrocious. The worst example of... It was around that time period where and like it was like late 1993 to about mid-1996 where DC, for whatever reason, decided, okay, we're going to start drawing... Like, we're going to get some image-type artists in here. Right. Uh, and it's just... It, it, you had books like Fate and Manhunter and uh you know extreme justice where you know at least with extreme justice i could care about who's in the book but with fate i'm like i don't like this guy why am i reading this so. right all right <laughs> kind of close that out that that uh discussion i think it's probably a good time for us to jump into the book itself and start talking about it uh, on, on some specifics scott throw me into the book please you threw him too hard. He's in the sun. Ah, ah, ah but there's plenty of Mountain Dew up here. <laughs> and it's right this warm. That's for sure. It's, it's room temperature. Uh, well, but be before we get into that, I do want to send a very big thank you out to J. David Weeder. 
uh, because it's because of him that I have my copy of this book. Uh, and I wanted to thank him publicly for that because I had never read it until uh, I never owned it. And then I never read it because there was a there was a regular size trade paperback of this that came out a couple years ago. And there was also a oversized hardcover uh, to kind of get it to the size that it was originally published in. And I just never found it at a price that I was comfortable with. But, you know, right. free is always good. So uh, I, I accepted <laughs> free, but I wanted to thank him for that. Have you guys seen the uh, the statue that they did of this not long mm-hmm. ago? That was pretty damn cool, I thought. Yes, I've seen that, and it is yeah. very cool. <laughs> not $200 cool. Yeah. <laughs> very little but... is. <laughs> but uh, just, just talking about the cover, and we've already talked about the uh, layout, I'm just going to go over a list of some of the celebrities. Not all of them, because we don't have all night. Uh, <laughs> we had the Beatles, Kirk Allen, Lucille Ball, Sonny Bono, Johnny Carson, Cher, Dick Clark, William Conrad, Andy would appreciate that, Phyllis Diller, The Jackson Five, Jerry Garcia, James Garner, Ron Howard, Jack Larson, Noel Neal, Tony Orlando, Donny Osmond, Marie Osmond, Christopher Christopher Reeve with the glasses on, Wayne Rogers, Frank Sinatra, Raquel Welsh, Wolfman Jack, Peter Falk, Andy Warhol, Woody Allen, John Wayne, although it's not John Wayne, and Wally Wood. And the thing about the John Wayne is uh, he didn't approve his likeness to be on there. So Neil Adams just put a, uh, a mustache on him. I've this, always thought that the John Wayne with a mustache actually looks like Jimmy Doohan. And uh, some people apparently thought that was Stan Lee. Yeah. And then I, I will, in, the, in the front is Lex Luthor, but that was originally Telly Savalas. Telly Savalas, yeah. <laughs> and he had a, a, a lollipop in his hand as Kojak, but then uh, he just erased the lollipop to make it Telly Savalas. The the thing about Christopher Reeve being on the cover is that this is before the movie came out, right? So that's that's actually kind of surprising that he was on the cover. Well, that's that's they say it's Christopher Reeve, and that's their way of getting around the fact that Superman is in the ring and Clark Kent is in the audience. Because I think it was really just drawn as Clark Kent. And then you have uh, Pele, Don King, and Joe Namath. <laughs> well, you know, you really should read these all out and put like some uh, like some seventies musics. Like you're introducing the uh, <laughs> this as a as a network special, right? From from a comic book perspective, you have Neil Adams, Terry Austin, Carrie Bates, William Gaines, Mike Gold, Jeanette Kahn, Gil Kane, Paul Levitz, Denny O'Neill, Joe Orlando, Julie Schwartz, Joe Schuster, Jerry Siegel, and Bob Wyacek. I think we have a missed opportunity by not having Joe Orlando right beside Tony Orlando. I think that's <laughs> we need to go back in time, you know, and, and screw like killing Hitler. We need to get that done. See, I would have drawn uh, Marianne from uh, Gilligan's Island because <laughs> then it would have been Tony Orlando and Dawn. <laughs> uh. And we have Jimmy Carter right, right there in the front row, right next to Moon Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> Who I do not think that's who that is, but just kind of looks like her on the cover. <laughs> and just, just, I mean, you know, we talk about iconic covers, and this is clearly one of them. And uh, I, I, I don't, I don't see any negatives. I don't know if you guys can point out any because I don't see any. The no, only, th- oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Mike. The only thing I have, and 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 Scott, I'll appreciate this, is that I remember hearing. Was it like a uh, a trailer for Empire Strike Back where they referred to the Star Wars people as Star Warriors? Hmm. There is or, one where they... Yeah, there is one. I, I'm not sure if it was Empire or Jedi, but yeah. 
Well, also, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think at the end of the original Star Wars adaptation by Marvel, you know, in the sixth issue, I think it says something about, you know, come back next time to see, you know, what happens to our Star Warriors or something like that. So, yeah. So, and that's not a criticism. It just, it just made me go, huh, Star Warriors. That's an interesting, right. that's an interesting turn of phrase. I wonder if you're trying to capitalize on something, DC. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hmm. Well, you know, that was one of my biggest notes when you get into space in this oh, yeah. comic is that, you know, they were clearly, you know, Neil Adams was clearly, uh, you know, I, I think he was clearly influenced by the cantina scene in Star Wars because it, it's, it's constant wacky aliens in every scene. But he does it, he does it about better than anybody else, I'll, I'll, I will admit, because... That was something that started to to grow thin pretty quick, uh, you know, when we were covering Marvel Star Wars on Star, uh, Star Wars Monthly Monday was, you know, certain artists are, are pretty good with aliens and then other ones not so much. And you could tell that Adams was just having a blast. You know, he, he was going all out to really introduce some some weird and wacky aliens and most of them work pretty darn good. But I don't think anybody picked up this book just based on the cover. I don't think anybody's really picking this up for the Star Wars vibe. Yeah. Despite the no. word Star Warriors on there. <laughs> right. And even the alien spaceship, which is almost not noticeable. Star Warriors. Right. Come out and Come play. Out play. Yay. <laughs> so, Wait, uh, I got to get some beer bottles and put them on my fingers. <laughs> were Sonny and Cher split up by this time? I think they were. I was right, wondering why I, Sonny Bono was uh, dating Batman right there. <laughs> he's on the rebound. He's, he's prepping for his big Lois and Clark appearance. Sonny got a much more prominent spot. He's on the front cover. She's on the back. Right. Well, that was the thing is I noticed that they were not sitting together. So I, I wondered. I'm if... in the front and you're in the back. You're <laughs> the bitch. You sit the hell over there, babe. I think my favorite of the cover images is the little Alfred E. Newman by the down at the bottom corner. <laughs> Definitely. I'll go with that. I like the one of Lucille Ball where she's going, yeah! <laughs> she looks, well, you know, she almost looks like a sex doll. Right. Oh, God. <laughs> what makes, how do you get to that? Look at Please her face! Explain, Dr. Bill. Look at her how, face. How, how long have you about... known Bill? <laughs> I'm not saying I want a oh, Lucille yeah. Ball sex doll. I think you just said that. God in, damn you. In fact, with a little creative editing, that's all you said. <laughs> oh, yes, you said well, she's ob she's already proven that she can cram a lot in her mouth, so you know, it's, oh. it's not that it's not that long, far of a logic leap when you think about it. Uh, I'm going How to How am I gonna sleep tonight now? <laughs> wow, Ricky. <laughs> all right, back cover about three people in from the left hand side. And right up near the top where it goes from people having their faces colored to where it's just like blue in the background there. That bulbous headed guy. Is that Hector Hammond? No, I believe that's Wally Wood. <laughs> oh, okay. Was Wally Wood the basis for, for Hector Hammond? He's just got a ginormous head. He does. You, have you, know, you know, any other day that might seem like an odd question. But considering like Julius Schwartz was the inspiration for the Guardians... I oh, mean, I'm not saying he wasn't the uh, the inspiration. I'm just saying I I, I only know because there was an interview with Neil Adams about this book on YouTube that right, I watched yeah. in preparation yeah, I watched for the show, too. 
And that specific question was asked, who was this guy? And he said, that's Wally Wood. And he was still alive at the time that this came out. Uh, let me uh, let me ask this. And, and it's it's it may seem like a silly question, but you, you have this book. It's obviously a big deal because not only, you know, is it Muhammad Ali, but it's also treasury size. So DC was obviously wanting to make this, no, no pun intended, a big deal. Were they so still in the thought that th- that comics were like going to end in five years that they put all of these very dated like celebrities and such on the cover? Because it's like who's going to know who Rhoda is? I know who Rhoda is. Well, you yeah, but you know when You're God old. said let there be light, you step to the left. So um, um, I I think that there's my my own personal thought in this is that. They don't know who's going to be big five years from now. So you go with who's big now, and, and you find That's out. Fair. You know what? I mean, if you told me when, when NSYNC was the big boy band, uh, and you said, oh, we're going to put, you know, if they said, we're going to put Justin Timberlake on something, I, my thought would be, in five years, nobody's going to know who Justin Timberlake is. And now he's a big star. You know what I mean? It's, it's you never yeah. know. That's, fair. That's or, fair. Or, or you know, if they said, we're going to put the people from Facts of Life on there. Well, who knew that George Clooney was going to be a big movie star, you know? <laughs> I just, you know, you don't know who's going to fade into obscurity and who's going to become a big star. So you just kind of go with, I, I, I know they did go out and get permission from everybody who's on here because that's why John Wayne has a mustache. And that's why Telly Savalas does not have a lollipop. But, uh, you know, I assume they just said, you know, these are the celebrities of the day. And they tried to put a, uh, a little bit of a cross section because they have people from, you know, from movies, people from music, people from, uh, you know, from the comic book field. Some superheroes are in there. I, th- I think they went with everybody. And I don't think there was the thought of I, I don't think there was the thought of, oh, this will still be big 40 years from now. Don't get me wrong. But I also don't think there was the thought of, you know, comics are going to go away in five years. I think that thought had kind of gone away by by the time this came out. I, I think. Fair. That that would be my take on it, and it's that's you know my my opinion on that is no more valid than yours. I'm not trying to set myself up as any kind of authority on it. Ow. Well, you you do know more about the '70s than I do, so I, I will I will concede to you on that one. Well, I mean, by the time this came out, they were having fairly big conventions. Uh, you know, we were talking about this the other day. You know, there was a, a regular. I think twice a year they would do what they call the creation convention in Manhattan that was pretty big. Uh, Marvel Comics once a year was doing a fairly big Manhattan convention. I don't know what was going on in other parts of the country because, you know, when you live in the city, in in New York City, there's really nothing beyond its borders that you actually pay attention to. (laughs) Sorry for my outburst there. Alvin bit me. Good for Alvin. I hope he took a big chunk out of you. I was playing with him and all of a sudden he's like, woof. Give me a... I already fed you. Go away. Stop looking at me. <laughs> He's mad because I won't feed him more food. All right, why, don't, why don't we dive into this book? Because we got a long way to go here. And a short time to get there. So the, the splash page, you know, you got a nice uh, nice shot of each of them kind of posing uh, with their gloves on. And it kind of jumps right into the story where you kind of see the alien ship coming down on, on Earth. Uh, unusual panel layout. Yeah, you would have you would have expected more given the previous treasuries where they've had the verses that they would have put like one guy on one side of the page and one guy on the other. Uh, there, there's really nothing wrong with the art, but there's just something kind of weird about Muhammad Ali and Superman's positioning. It's it's a lot stiffer than anything else in the book. What strikes me is as, as like the 
and I think that this is almost intentional, strikes me as the posed pictures you'd have in the, uh, you know, like if you had a boxing match coming up and you had the uh, poster uh, mm-hmm. right. promoting it, it, it strikes me as that type of picture, and I think that's what he was going for. So okay. I, I, oh, I do I was... think it, it looks a little stiff, but I think that may be intentional. I wish they had done the compare and contrast thing like they did with Superman <laughs> versus Captain Marvel. I'd like to know who Muhammad Ali's nemeses are. <laughs> Joe Frazier. <laughs> Frazier's Leon, woman. Leon Gordon. Yeah. Not Ed. Uh, going to that the, the, the double page splash across two and three. One, uh, on page three, Neil Adams obviously took a lot of time with the, the mother with the child because mm-hmm. there is a lot of junk in that woman's trunk. But does, is it me or does it look like uh, Charles Bronson is checking her out? Yep. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's totally Wolf, looking at Bronson. her ass. Yes. <laughs> so I want to know who JC loves her VM down on the sidewalk written in the cement. Who that's supposed to be? Jesus no... Christ and the Virgin Mary? That's... Ew. Oh, <laughs> really? <laughs> you are going so to hell. Already been there, dude. Came back. I want to know who Butt Dan's is because on that billboard in the background, uh, <laughs> it's it's I, another interesting layout though because look how small Jimmy Clark and and Lois are. Mm-hmm. You know they're they're way in the, in the background and the foreground really takes takes your eyes. It's 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 not designed to make you focus on them. It's designed to make you focus on the ghetto. And right. I, and I gotta say, you know, having read <laughs> having read a lot of uh, the Superman books from this time period. This is the most realistic metropolis ever looked as an inner city. Right. You know, nothing, nothing against Kurt Swan, who did good cityscapes and all that, but it all looked clean. Like, you know, it was the sets off of the adventures of Superman. This looks real, yeah. and it's stunning because it does. of it. And it's an interesting perspective, kind of with that uphill look about it. It, it really mm-hmm. is. It, it's striking. It really is. This, you know, this is the first page where you could say, wow, look at that art. I love the L track. Mm-hmm. It's just, oh. it's, it, it really does, it does appear very, very realistic. And, and it, it, at a time when hyper-realistic comics were not the norm. Now, it, it really makes me wish that Adams had actually drawn more Superman, like day-to-day Superman stuff, uh, instead of just, you know, like kind of focusing on covers and, and all that. Like, like more of him drawing Clark Kent and Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen. Because they look just fantastic throughout this entire book. Yeah, very true. And I, I you know, I've said, you know, because when usually when the artist that you think of is the is the whoever the the uh, you know whoever was doing the book when you started collecting, and Kurt Swan is my Superman artist, but nobody draws Superman better than Neil Adams, in my opinion. Yeah, he definitely re re energized him for this decade. You know, it, it, it's you know between him and Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name. Uh, they they kind of modernized him in the 70s in a way that, as great as Swan was, I mean, how many times did you get like a Neil Adams cover, you turn the page, and it's Swan, and there's that there's that little bit of disappointment. <laughs> yeah, because the interior art, I mean, I, I love Swan, right. but, but the yeah. interior art is not living up to the cover when that happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, by by this time, the the Superman of this era, of this decade, is... To me, it comes down to you know to three people. It comes down to Neil Adams, uh, Garcia Lopez, and Rich Buckler. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah, most definitely. Now going on to the next page, I am struck right away with 
how good he drew Muhammad Ali and how mm-hmm. he does not have that stiff, uh, licensed character look that you have right. when, you know, when there's a rendition of, you know, a TV series or a movie or anything. He fits in with the other characters. He doesn't look more or less realistic than any of them. And yet he looks like Muhammad Ali throughout. It's it's incredible. It's it's it is probably the best if you can call my Muhammad Ali a licensed character, but it's probably the best rendition of a living character moving in with fictional characters that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. I, I, you know, from what I understand, at least from, you know, Neil Adams retelling of it, uh, Joe Kubert's version did not make the Muhammad Ali camp happy. And that's how they decided to give Neil Adams a shot at this. And apparently they were very happy with his version and rightfully so, because not only does he make him look good, but he makes him look, you know, like Muhammad Ali. He makes him look like him and also makes him look good throughout. He never never looks bad in any shot. And m- moving uh, on, uh, unless you guys have said anything else on that. I no. just I like the feel of the whole thing because he it, it, it's really strange. It's hard to it's hard to describe, but this almost feels like and I and I mean this in a good way. It almost feels like your standard superhero team up that you would get in like Brave and the Bold or later DC in, uh, in DC Presents. Comics Presents or something, because nobody's particularly starstruck. You know, it's not like oh my yeah. god, it's Muhammad Ali and making a big deal about it and feeling the need to explain who he is and why he's such a big deal. It's it's almost like they've just run across. You know, Batman, or or you know, a, a, just another comic book character, and I really like that. And I like that Superman and Muhammad Ali too. I mean, you, it'd be hard. You'd be hard pressed to think of you know a, a stranger team up during this time. But you know, they're they're almost like instant friends, and they're not really trying to one up each other. You know, it's they really do stand on the same level, even though they are completely different types of people and different heroes in their own way, if you know what I mean. I just think that that works very well to the tone of the story. And yet they do have the scene that that we're going to be coming up on where they, they argue over who's, who should be the champion of earth. Yeah. Right. And so they do try to one up each other a little bit, but it's more in a uh, friendly way. Right. Um, uh, Yeah. I, 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 you know, I, th- I think when we talked about some of the weaknesses of the story, uh, you know, the, the pretense that gets them together kind of is the thing that seems kind of silly. But we'll, I guess we'll get to that in a minute when we get to that page. Let me uh, ask you guys a question about Scrub, uh, who in addition uh, to being a guy that can't get no love from me uh, <laughs> as he's hanging out the passenger side of his best friend's ride trying to holler at me. Uh, is it me or do they color him so darkly be- so that people wouldn't go, man, he really looks like Rachel Ghoul. Oh, I've been thinking that <laughs> as I've been reading it so much. You, you just beat me to the comment. He absolutely okay. looks like a green Rachel Ghoul. <laughs> yeah. So I just, it, it kind of took me out of the story when I made the connection. Cause like on the bottom of page seven, he looks like the leader. Uh, and then that made me want to see Neil Adams draw the leader. But like on every other page, I'm like, he looks just like Rachel Ghoul. This is not a good thing. So, I I, li- I like the fact. Now, you, you know, I wonder how this was written. You know, if if this was fully scripted first, or if this is kind of like the Marvel method where Neil Adams, because he does have some writing credit in this. Uh, you know, where where he kind of drew it, and then Neil and Denny O'Neill just script. You know, just put in the dialogue afterwards. 
but I like right off the bat how you know Ali has no hesitation to mix it up with. Uh, Oh yeah, with, with the scrub leader that he, you know, he he just, you know, the guy the guy backhands him and it's like, oh my, you are in trouble, and he takes a shot at him right right away, <laughs> and then and then Clark uses that as an excuse to go off and call the proper authorities. Uh, and I like that Muhammad Ali, you know, foreshadowing something that happens at the end of the book, kind of makes an excuse for him, like, yeah, you go do that because I know what you're gonna do, even though he guesses the identity later. I don't know, Maybe that doesn't work anymore. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does kind of because he says the way he figures it out is Jimmy. Jimmy mentions he has no film in his camera, and uh, Superman comes along later. Photographer and eats no with film. his camera. Photographer sleeps with his camera. Glad I'm a writer. <laughs> but I, I think Jimmy's Jimmy's overstating this. He's oh great, the sports story of the year, and I forgot to load my camera. Really, an interview with Muhammad Ali is the sports story of the year. That's a for pretty dull sports year for for Jimmy Olsen. Yeah, yeah, Jimmy. Jimmy's not much for the sports page. I, I think we can all agree to that. We we shouldn't let him there, is what I'm saying, because he's too busy like going off and being Mister Action. Yeah, uh, I which, guess so. so no, that's... this entire first se- uh, scene is you know it, it like sets everything up and it it kind of like trips around being a little campy, but what saves it is Superman flying off. You know, and, and seeing the explosion, and then on pages 10 and 11, seeing the tsunami and cracking his fists together, and you have the thoom sound effect in that one panel being inside the wave. I mean, it just, th- there were moments, every time I thought this book was going to get silly, Neil Adams would do something that made me went, whoa, that's really cool. And, so. and what, we, what we have in, in that scene is a little bit of what we see later in the book, too, where... Ali is down on Earth dealing with the Muhammad Ali level threat. You know, he's got the the leader of the aliens that he can manhandle a little bit. And Superman's up in space or, you know, down on Earth when he is taking care of the more uh, galactic level threats. Mm-hmm. And, and that's that's a nice way of breaking it up and having them be able to team up and still have it be an effective story. Haven't we seen Superman stop a number of tidal waves over the years? And it seems like he always stops them in different ways. Because I remember one where he is streaking along the front of the tidal wave and, and basically using a sonic boom to level it out. But I can't remember what the hell book that is. You guys remember? That sounds vaguely familiar, but I can't picture, and I'm pretty confident I won't come up with it. I, I want to say it's actually one of these uh, these giant size books, you know, the the collector's edition books. But I just I can't remember which one it is. Maybe maybe the Spider Man one. I, I just can't remember. That's why he's Superman. He's no yeah. one trick, no one trick pony. I think he does this in one of the Elia S. Megan novels as well. There's a giant title. Yeah, wave that's that, uh, the beginning of Miracle Monday. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. I forget how he does it in that. I want to say he uses his heat vision, I think. Now, I, I don't know how well you guys remember Muhammad Ali from this era. I mean, Mike, you would have been a baby, so I assume you don't at all. Um, but mm-hmm. I don't know, Bill and Bill and uh, Scott, I don't know if you remember at all. But oh, yeah. They, they oh, yeah. really did capture his voice here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. very much so. You know, when, when they start with the, man, they rank me with Joe Lewis, Sugar Ray Robinson, Ezra Charles, Archie Moore. Like, he just starts rattling off the names. That's the way he was in interviews. And it's so on the money. It, it's it's great. And and I remember that era. And I remember people, you know, people chalked it up to racism, which I think is unfair. 
there were people who didn't like Muhammad Ali because he was so brash. And I don't think it's because he was a brash African-American. I think it's because he was he, he was brash, period. And if he right. was a white guy who did the same thing, I think he'd be disliked by the same people. So I think right. when they, they chalked it up to racism, I think that was unfair. When people denied him the right to take his Muslim name, maybe that was racism and unfair. I'll, I'll give them that one. His mama called him Clay. I'm going to call him Clay. But you know, but but as far as as far as you know, his his braggadocio and all this this really hits it. But it does it in a way where it's not offensive. He's very likable in this book. Uh, well, that's but the I, thing is that arrogant can be charming, you know. Right. And and he's only arrogant when it comes to kind of trying to psych the opponent out. And he, well, he he would also do arrogant for fun. Uh, very often in interviews with Cosell, he and Cosell developed a, a kind of a symbiotic relationship that they knew, you know, Ali knew he was getting better press from Cosell and Cosell knew he was getting in the limelight by being the guy interviewing Ali. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he would he would play up that a lot with Cosell. But but it was clearly all in good fun. You know, there was, there was uh, a playful relationship that they had. But as far as psyching out his opponents, yeah, he he was a master of psychological games, and they and they do it in this book as well. On page of is that fourteen? Yeah, that's got to be page fourteen. I love how Scrub has just had enough of this, and he's just yelling at them like a parent yelling at two children who are arguing. Like I don't I don't care who started this fight, I don't care who's right. You both shut up now. Yeah, well he turns into a combination of Rachel Ghoul and the wizard. Yeah. <laughs> Silence. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. No. The uh the coloring in this book is really interesting as well. Like on page fifteen, the the cops are kind of shaded blue, as is everybody else, giving it almost like a photograph effect. Uh, in a weird way. And then, you know, it just goes to the image of Superman flying off with Muhammad Ali, but then there's more shading at the bottom of that page as well. And that's one of the things that really struck me when I was reading this yesterday. And a couple of more interesting camera, camera, a couple of more interesting angles on the shots that, that he's got here. The one with uh, the scrub taking off and showing the, uh, you know, Superman and Ali so small in, in the background. Mm-hmm. Also, the shot at the bottom, the one that you just mentioned, where uh, Lois is reporting on TV about the, uh, you know, w- about what just happened. You know, you, you have the cameraman in the forefront of the shot, and she's tiny in the background, which it's, it's I think it's effective, but it's very unconventional. I do like on page 16 that when he lands with Muhammad Ali, Muhammad Ali is kind of like hanging onto his neck instead of being held I and also that was... shivering while while Superman's opening up the fortress. Well, yeah, because Superman once again forgets that not everybody's invulnerable and brings a man in a in, in, in a tank top essentially <laughs> uh, to, to the Arctic. So uh, we in New York prefer to call that a wife beater. Okay. <laughs> I didn't realize that I was being culturally insensitive. I apologize. <laughs> well, your, your apology is accepted. Don't make the mistake again, or I'm sending Hank Pym over there. <laughs> you know he's wearing one of them around the house. Especially the ultimate version. Um, <laughs> Superman. Okay, okay. This is this is part of the story. I'll I'll call shenanigans on, and I'm sorry because you know you don't really want to call shenanigans on any part of such an epic story. But they're like, okay, we got 24 hours. But in this area, 24 hours is like two weeks. That's cheating. Oh yeah. I'm sorry. And 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 it seems like Superman and Muhammad Ali would be above such things. When when Scrub finds out about it and, and gets really mad, I, I really didn't blame him, you know? I, I'm calling more BS on the writing than I am on them. 
because I don't okay. blame them for if, if this technology or this ability was available to them, I don't blame them for using it. But if Superman had this ability, wouldn't he utilize it fairly frequently when he has a problem? Well, that's the thing about some Superman stories is that, you know, you know, the George Reeves series was like really known for this. It's like, I need to split to two people. So suddenly I have that power. So, so, you know, we needed a, we needed to, you know, bend time and space for a little bit. So we, you know, we stepped into the uh, police box and here we are. Yeah. I, I would have been more comfortable with it if there had been some sort of anomaly that, you know, this is a one-time thing where we're going to be able to do this, but we'll never be able to do it again. Uh, as opposed to, well, I can do this whenever I want, but uh, I cho- just generally choose not to. Well, this this is Bill and Ted tactics here is what this is. This is, you know, we need to get good at playing our instrument instruments, so uh, we'll, you know, we're going to take off in the in the phone booth and and jam for six months and then come back as experts. That's what this is. And oddly enough, this would be seen in the... Uh anime series dragon ball z to where they go into a room for for one day and it's equal to one year so they train for a year to become better fighters to take on uh frieza at the end of the uh the dragon ball z series so Hmm. did they rip this off i don't know i don't know but yeah it's the same thing they they went they went into a special room where one day was equal to one year and they they did all the all this training in there hmm so then we move on to page 18, which is the Muhammad Ali vanity page. <laughs> right. But, you know, it, I mean, it, it's it's effective as a montage to kind of go through boxing techniques and, you know, what makes Ali special to some some extent. I think uh, I think Superman's just saying, please don't hit me again. <laughs> I'm sorry. Don't hurt me anymore. I'll be good. <laughs> well, he, he set him up there. I mean, he, he said, you know, he said he told him to hit him. Of course, he says "tap me," and Ali throws the punch, and then says, "Oh, yeah. I pull it." So it's Oof. not really tapping me, then, is it? He <laughs> basically laid into me with that one. Thanks, Dick. No, but now some of this doesn't ring true to me, though. Like some of it is—I mean, it is exposition, but so it reads as exposition because Superman, despite his superpowers, should be an accomplished enough fighter that he knows what a hook is. He knows, you know, he knows what an uppercut is. He knows what a right cross is. He doesn't need Muhammad Ali to explain those to him. He might need him to help him with his technique slightly or to show when you use this one as opposed to that one. But I, I assume he knows what the basic punches are. So it, it's, you know, it really is exposition for exposition's sake, but it kind of works as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean, but Ali is a trained fighter. Superman, you could say, is also a fighter, but he has other superpowers and things. So, I mean, I would actually give Ali a better fighting skill than Superman. Oh, yeah. No, no, no question. But, oh, okay. but he's, my point is that he's explaining the real, real basics to tell him what an uppercut is. I'm sure mm. Superman knows what an uppercut is. You know what I mean? Maybe maybe uh-huh. work yeah. with Superman on his technique on an uppercut. You got to start with the basics, baby. Got to start with the basics. Well, and got to get the and fundamentals. Don't Make get sure me wrong. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that it took me out of the story or that it bothered me. It's, it's, it's you know, it's a nitpick. I, I like, kind of like the way the, the ring that he created is just kind of floating in space. Probably make him nauseous. <laughs> <laughs> Rings in space. <laughs> and then we kind of get on to the pre-fight hype that's going on. I love the alien at the bottom of page 20 that he's wearing bell bottoms. That just amuses me greatly. He looks like he is getting down, doesn't he? Oh, yeah. 
Well, he's sitting in a chair, isn't he? Well, that's 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 the head guy. Yeah, right? that's true. Yeah. And he's going, "You goddamn kids, get off my lawn! Get off my starfield!" <laughs> <laughs> so the the uh, the alien leader figures out what they're doing and sends uh, the uh, space super robots to go and uh, collect Ali and Superman. They are sad space robots too. Look yes, they the are. Look like. <laughs> Do we have to be here? YR2, YR3 and I have been sent by the <laughs> Unconquerable Scrub to bring you back. But, I mean, it, 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 it's a little silly here where Ali does kind of the thing where he runs between the thing's legs and then it kind of bends over to kind of follow him and then he punches <laughs> it in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> on, 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 page, on page 22, doesn't that, uh, that one robot look like... Um, the, the the droid that is telling uh, um, C-3PO and all them what's what on the... Uh, God, was that in Star Wars or Jedi? Where they... Oh, Return of the Jedi? Yeah, yeah where, where it was just like, you will learn respect. Right, oh. yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the one down in... Oh, is it EV-9 or something? Yeah, ED-99. Yeah. The one down in Jabba's... Uh, yeah. Hey, you're a, fe- you're a feisty one. <laughs> but you'll soon learn some respect put you on the master sail barge <laughs> suddenly became the emperor I don't know now, now I think it's one a thing, cool... oh, go ahead Scott one thing I will say for Neil Adams he does hear for Ali what I always w- wished that Mike Grell or somebody would do for the Legion of Superheroes Superman's got this bubble that he takes Ali up into space in and there's a convenient little chair for him to sit there's mm-hmm. a little footrest. Now, granted, it's so cramped that he has to hunch over the entire time. But still, that always. Anytime I see characters in a bubble, whether it's the Legion Time Sphere or Green Lantern rings up a bubble or what, I, I know Mike and I have talked about this on Tales. I'm always like, how can they stand in that without slip sliding all over the place? Just <laughs> once, I wanted to see like Green Lantern whip up a bubble with like you know the entire Justice League or the Justice Society in that bubble. And they're all laying prone at the bottom of it on top of each other because it's a friggin' bubble. You can't stand up in a bubble, you know? Not everybody. You know, like the guy at the bottom of the bubble could stand up. Everybody else, you know, they can't stand on the on the sides of the thing. But here you see that there's actually, you know, there's a little seat for him. I just think that's cute. Little turlet. <laughs> little turlet. <laughs> Opens out in the space. I think it's really cool on 22, though, where, where basically Superman knows, you know, the sparring is done and he just kind of flexes his hands and snaps the gloves, basically mm-hmm. disintegrates the gloves. Yep. I think that's a pretty cool shot and it just kind of goes right by without you, you know, like without mention. <laughs> so so on page 25, when Hunyas uh, shows up, does anybody else hear James Brown there? Oh, yeah. Hunya! <laughs> Hunya! That's that's a pretty cool shot though the way they they're uh, you know that they turn. I hear that more is more is Scott Gunner. <laughs> I think it's fairly well done too that you know the way they just kind of feign being unimpressed by him, mm-hmm. right? And then, you know it's it's the start Yawning. of like the Ali psychological games. Though <laughs> so at the bottom of twenty six, Scrub kind of looks like he's going. Durr. It's like the Grinch. <laughs> More, uh, more Jim Carrey Grinch than anything else. I would assume. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I'm giving it, it Jim Carrey and not Boris Karloff. 
No, the whole sequence in space is is pretty spectacular visually. Um, well, on, on the shot on twenty eight twenty nine, the two large aliens at the top look very much to me like when Neil Adams drew these knocks in the X Men. Mm-hmm. Just kind of with a uh, kind of like, like a globe skull cap kind of thing. But other than that, they look. That's what it looks like to me. But it's a pretty spectacular shot, kind of showing all these things going. You know, towards Bodice, which is the planet that they're on. I, and then, yeah, you know, I yeah. think they're pointing out parking spaces. Look, there's one. Yeah. <laughs> but you have the very large-headed aliens at the bottom. <laughs> uh, the chicken-headed people, which I, I know Scott always appreciates a good <laughs> chicken-headed person. Uh, <laughs> one, one of which looks like it has two testicles hanging from its, from its beak. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, and then Adam Rand. I, I like the uh, fried egg people on the page across from it there. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> the chicken people are looking and thinking they're cannibals. Their arch nemesis, of course, is a big slice of toast. So comes in just oh, with Paul, didn't you make some of those people for us this week? Scott would be walking over there with hot sauce right now. Yeah, yep. there you go. And some ketchup. Some ketchup. Mm, delicious. Oh, you do you do ketchup on your eggs? Hell yeah, I do. Good man, good man. My wife hates it. I do it anyways. <laughs> wow, that shocks me because uh, yeah, everywhere I went when I lived in Georgia, and I would do that. They'd be like, "Boy, where the hell are you from?" So yeah. So how did uh, how, does, how does Jimmy Olsen become the announcer? How the hell does that happen? I, I like it. comics. I said it joking around, but you know that's silly. Why wouldn't you? It have is, especially when Co sells there on on page thirty one, giving him the evil eye. Right. Like, like, saying, like he's telling him, "Sit your ass down, Cosell." He's like, I, mean, I, it, I assume I'll get you, boy. Sad I assume Cosell gave his okay since he's in the book. And why wouldn't you make him the announcer? Is Portrait that the... of a reporter sitting up there doing my job. Was, was, <laughs> as as a writer, it would be fun to write Cosell dialogue. Is, Absolutely. Is that the uh, Nintendo uh, character Kirby behind Cosell? Yes, it does look like Kirby, doesn't it? <laughs> He's going to just open his mouth and eat Cosell's toupee. Yeah. <laughs> I do like that all the aliens look different. You know, there, there's really no... I mean, most of them are humanoid, but they all... Uh, they all look different from each other, so I kind of like that. And they all are giving each other that kind of... There's some Speaking aliens, aliens. now. <laughs> the only problem with that is that you never see two alike, but I have a no prize for that, is that you know, they're, they're representatives of like their, their respective worlds or something like that, so... You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's why you're only seeing like one of one of each. Because on the first read through or first reread through of this, that bugged me a lot. I'm like, you know, well, wouldn't you know, wouldn't you like take your wife? So why aren't you ever seeing like two of the same species or something? But you know, that's all I can think is that they're they're only allowed, you know, just no, just one one per species. Although there's a lot of humans. So I would I think know. I would probably go for. Uh... And I don't know that he didn't do this, but I would probably go for a lot of old books and see different alien races that have been put in over the years and right. try and just, you know, mix and match throwing, you know, representations of those different species in there. Right. Because I, I just think it would be fun, you know, and, and then if, if anybody recognized them as a callback. And, and he may have done that for all I know. These, these alien races may have appeared previously in different books. Don't know. Moving on right along, we get to the battle. 
and we see Muhammad Ali and his cornermen walking in, each of which gets rendered in the book. Uh, now, are these all real people? That? I'm sorry? Are these all real people? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Uh, Angelo D- Dundee looks just a little bit too much like Spiro Agnew to me. <laughs> Maybe Henry Kissinger. But the uh, the other guys, they're all real. Uh, Herbert Muhammad, Bundini Brown, and uh, I forget who the, uh, the third guy is. I don't even see a name for him. But uh, but the, yeah, they really were in his corner for the fights. Uh, Angelo Dundee would you know would be the uh, trainer slash cut man. Well, well actually, the cut is man, Ali. no, the cut man was uh, Doctor Ferdy Pacheco. The third guy is Ali because you've got Dundee, you've got Herbert Muhammad, then you've got okay. Ali, and then you've Ali's got... in the middle. That's what it is. Yeah. Yep. And then the 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 battle scene is pretty brutal. Yeah, I like uh, that. It 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 shows you know how. You know, basically, even with the training and everything, Ali's fighting skills are just far superior to Superman's. But Superman's got that incredible, uh, you know, that incredible willpower that he just, you know, he, he truly is a hero. Being a hero doesn't necessarily mean being the best fighter. It means how you carry yourself in the situation. You know, well, you know, I think this book would have been really interesting had it been uh, Batman versus Muhammad Ali because back during this time you have to remember Batman wasn't the Batman that he is today where he's this you know invincible super planner that could even take down you know Galactus and Jesus you know I mean he could you know he's he's ridiculous on the level that he's at now but back during this time you know he would occasionally get his ass kicked by you know fairly unimpressive <laughs> bad guys so this would have been really interesting had it been Batman and not Superman because the thing here, as you say, is Superman's not a boxer. He's not a fighter. I mean, in a lot of ways, Superman's kind of a, a, a brawler. And when it comes to his fighting style, he's almost, you know, dare I say, a bully because he knows that he's so much more powerful than most of the people that he faces that he relies on his superpowers. And I like that that actually comes up later in the story, you know, where he actually screws up at one point and starts, he jumps off of a platform and then he's like, Oh shit, I can't fly. And if it wasn't for, you know, the light bridge, he would have died. He would have plummeted Mm. to his death. I like that. He admits to himself that he screwed up and that he's so used to relying on his superpowers that he's, he's almost helpless without them. And that's what's great about this fight is we see that take away his superpowers and he can't fight for shit. <laughs> he gets, you know, he gets the daylights beat out of him. Well, I mean, and, and can't fight for shit is probably overstating it. He's fighting against arguably the greatest fighter of his generation. Uh, you know, some people would say the greatest fighter of all time. I don't know that. Right. I, that. Right. But I'm, you know, I'm still going to stand by that though, because when do we really see Superman, fight i mean you might see him brawl you might see him occasionally like you know he does the pinky thing you know where he'll smack somebody in the chin with his pinky and knock them out but i mean when do you really see superman ever brawl because doesn't the same if i'm not mistaken doesn't the same thing happen in that story where where superman and lex Luthor go to the planet where they're they're on the same power level and doesn't lex Luthor beat the shit out of him too you know the one I'm talking about? Not offhand, I'm not sure. This is a is that... Silver Age story where, where basi- I, I can't remember why they do it, but they, they go to basically a boxing ring on, on I don't know if yeah. it's a Red Sun planet or yeah. what, but they go to this boxing ring where they're 
they're equals. Superman doesn't have his powers. And they're going to, I think what it is, I think if I'm, it's been so long since I've read that story, but if I remember the story correctly, it's essentially, all right, we're going to hash this out once and for all like men. So they go yeah. to this boxing ring intending to, to kind of just fight it out like men. And Luther mops the floor with him, if I'm not mistaken. Are you, are you talking uh, about Superman number 164? Uh, let me look it up. The, the introduction the of Lexor, where they go uh, yeah, to... Yeah, yeah. Isn't that the one? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, that's the one where the, they, you know, Luther calls him out. And they go to a red sun planet. And, you know, doesn't he kick his ass? He he acquits himself quite well. I don't remember if he wins or not. But, you know, he he, uh, you know, Luther manhandles him a little bit. Right. Would you say it was 161? 164, I believe. 164. Let me look that up. Isn't Luther found to be cheating or something while he was doing that? No, 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 he wasn't cheating in the actual fight when they were outside of the fight. They are. But, you know. Mm. I'm just looking. Uh, looks yeah, like looks like Superman does win the fight, though. Oh, you found it? Yeah. They said at one point he 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 wins in the end, and he gets him with an uppercut. So Superman does know what an uppercut is. I never dared hit you hard when I had super strength because I knew that even one blow would kill you. But now that we're evenly matched, it's a pleasure. And he. Yeah, this is the one I'm thinking of. The showdown between Luthor and Superman. Yeah, that's the one I, mean, I was Superman thinking I Superman does of. have a black eye at the end of the, the fight. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's not that he didn't take a shot. Right. But he does knock out Luthor at the end. Now, wait a minute, though. Go, <laughs> going back to something that you said about ten minutes or five minutes ago or so, Scott. You, you had a team-up with Galactus and Jesus? <laughs> the first thing that popped in my head was a retelling of, of Mice and Men with Galactus... You know, <laughs> hey George, where are we going? And Jesus is just looking up at him. <laughs> and then the next thing that that popped into my head was Galactus and Jesus in the Odd Couple. You know, <laughs> Jesus Mike. is Tony Randall. I will, I will forever picture Lincoln and Genghis Khan. Mike, who was that in the early days of uh, of Back to the Bins? I think it was that uh... it was John Bakula. Yeah. <laughs> that did, uh... he, he photoshopped the cover of this. <laughs> he changed Muhammad Ali into Jesus Christ and Superman into Batman. So it was Batman versus Jesus Christ. That is the single best Photoshop I've ever seen to this day. And every time I see it, I laugh my ass off because it really looks... Like, that's what Neil Adams drew. Was... It's the Dark Knight Detective versus the King of Kings. Yep. <laughs> it's great. See, the problem with Jesus is that he's wiry. <laughs> so, you know, it just it, he's fast and it hurts. Well, plus, he's got that carpenter strength. <laughs> his, his signature move is the nail driver. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, Ali basically manhandles him with his superior fighting skills, but Superman I had another refuses really to fall down. Manhandles I... him? He beats him like he rented him. My God <laughs> in heaven. This thing is brutal. Like a red-headed stepchild. Like Jan Pym. I mean, I like it because I love Superman, but Superman is, you know, he can fight, but he is not a boxer, you know? Right. He's not a trained martial artist at this point. You know, he slugs it out with people, but basically it just comes down to him being stronger than the guy, essentially. 
And here he just can't keep up. And I like that. I think it's, I think one, it's realistic, you know, as realistic as you can get in this. Uh, but also he doesn't fall, you know, he gets beaten, but he doesn't fall. And that to me shows that even though technically he's not the better fighter, he's got just as much heart in this as Ali does. Yeah, I, I, I think that's that's a good take on it, and I think that's an excellent way that they wrote it. You know, we were talking before, Scott, you mentioned about if Muhammad if, if it was Muhammad Ali versus Batman, and while if it was a mixed martial arts thing where pretty much anything goes, you know, I have no doubt that as written, uh, Batman would beat just about anybody, you know, barring somebody with super strength. Um, but in a boxing match, I have no doubt that Ali's got to be the superior boxer to, you know, I mean... Batman can't be the best at everything. He can be very good at everything. Well, you know? here's the other thing, though, is that boxers are trained for the the distance, the endurance. You know, martial arts at its core, even though you you do train, you know, you know, very hard, you're wanting to end that fight as quickly as possible. Whereas a boxer is trained to let you know to to go you know twelve, fifteen rounds. So it's why. You know, to, to use a real world example, it's it's why Tyson lost to Evander Holyfield. You know, Buster it, Douglas as or well. Buster Douglas. I'm sorry, but a couple years later, I thought they they had a match. Well, that was when he bit off Evander Holyfield's yeah. ear. But you know, but yeah, because Buster he's Douglas. delicious. So, <laughs> no, but the Buster thinking. Douglas fight's a, a good example because Tyson. You know, it got to the point. You know, because I remember watching early Tyson fights. Around the second round, he's going to work on that guy's body. He's going to deliver an uppercut, and it's over. I mean, that's how he beat Mike Spinks in that pay-per-view fight. In yeah, in like one round. In like one round, <laughs> but Douglas took him to the to the to the limit, and Tyson wasn't trained for that. He was a street fighter, and you know, a, a true boxer, somebody who is a master of the sweet science. Is gonna is gonna let it go the distance, you know. It's it's always the you know the 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 wish of you know what 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 would have happened if Bruce Lee and Muhammad Ali had fought. Well, it depends. If it's a martial arts fight, like you were saying, Paul, Bruce Lee would win. If it's straight boxing, I don't know. It's more of an even fight at that point. I think if it's straight boxing, Ali wins. I think mm -hmm. Ali's going to be the superior boxer to almost anybody. I mean, you can you can make arguments over you know different boxers of different generations that never had a chance to fight Ali as to whether or not they might be superior, but there is no doubt in my mind Ali was the best fighter of his generation. So absolutely, and the fact is is that he had to stop fighting him uh, because of his refusal to go into the Vietnam War. Yeah, he missed I think three or four years from his career because of that. And that's when he was like, you know, at a time where most boxers go into their best, you know, their best. So, not that he didn't make up for it later. To be yeah. fair. I mean, by the time he lost to uh, Leon Spinks, you know, he was he was you know by boxing standards older. Mm -hmm. uh, and then then it was actually a shame when he fought Larry Holmes because he was you know he he was no longer I, I think he was about forty at that point. And for boxing, that's ancient. <laughs> Although George Foreman did well at that age, but that's different. Larry Holmes, man, where I grew up, Larry Holmes was a folk hero because he was from Eastern Pennsylvania. Mm. And that was like the next town over. So he was he was an underrated champion, Larry Holmes. Oh God, he, yes. They, they talk about the greatest boxers of all time. He doesn't even come up in the subject, uh, in the discussion. Which you know he 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 deserves a mention. I'm not I'm not saying he is the greatest boxer or even necessarily that high on the list, but he he deserves to be included in the group. 
But uh, you know, it's, it's funny they they had made a uh, a, a a computerized uh, program to have Ali fight uh, Rocky Marciano, and uh, they they actually filmed scenes. You know, to to recreate it, and because uh, you know, it's interesting when you start comparing. You know, what if this guy ever got a chance to fight that guy? And uh, I believe well, that was the that that was the entire point of Rocky Balboa, the film. Yeah, when 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 Rocky got to fight uh, Mason, Mason the line Dixon. Dixon, yes, but it was that computer simulation that got it got the plot rolling essentially. So. Yes, yeah, very true. Uh, to take it back to this story, I love the fact that after Superman finally falls, Ali is ready to beat anyone's ass that comes near him. That's you know, it's just it's just great. Like you know, you know, hands off, take your slimy hands off that man. We'll take care of our own. You what, come to our planet. A, I'm sorry. What, finish it. You come to our planet, shove us around, make us dance to your music. Well, don't give us a hand now. You haven't earned the right. If if one of you so much as touches him, I'll punch you out. <laughs> What, what a dramatic and rarely seen shot on the next page. The splash mm-hmm. page. Ali on the, I mean, Superman on the stretcher being carried away. And uh, Ali and Perry White are basically running interference to keep everybody away from him as they carry him off. The deleted scene here is where Perry White put a cigar out in an alien's eye because he got too close. And he I'm sorry. Perry, he was a one-eyed oh. alien, too. Perry White uh, grew up on the streets of Suicide Slum. That man knows how to throw a punch. <laughs> You know, well, he says he was a Golden Gloves fighter, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, then yeah, then definitely. So, so at this point, they decide they have to send Superman back to Earth so that the Yellow Sun can uh, help him to recuperate. Welcome to Earth, <laughs> and we get ready for the main event: Ali versus Hunya. Did Did anybody smell Denny O'Neill's handiwork in bringing this goddess into the thing? Yeah, what what the hell was that all about anyway? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm just curious what what where, you know where do you see that coming from? Because I'm not really because he was always into kind of the mysticism and the weird stuff. Uh, you know, it's just it it always seemed like in his I don't know it just seems more O'Neill than Adams to bring that in. Yeah, I didn't under I mean it's like let's take. A, a, a wacky concept and a wacky story and just make it that much weirder. Cause I mean, what function does she even serve in the story other than to make you scratch your head and go, what the hell? Yeah. Yeah. She really, I, I don't think she really brings anything to it. She just, reminds me of, uh, of Starfire's goddess there. Exhale or whatever. Exhale yeah. Or whatever her name. Yeah. It's weird. But I guess she's there to be like kind of an impartial arbiter because like when uh, when Ali starts using some psychological tactics, she comes in and says the use of psychology in warfare is a universally accepted tactic. Yeah. And that's when when uh, the uh, when when all of a sudden they say, uh, you know, he's got to predict when the fight's going to end or they're going to basically blow up Earth. Right. And he says he'll hit the floor in four. And furthermore... And, and he goes off it. onto his rant, and that, there's a pretty cool. I guess that is. I guess there's a. There, those are photos. I don't think Neil Adams drew those. Yeah. In the background while he's ranting. Yeah. yeah but that's, those are photos. That's a true Ali rant that they have written there. Oh yeah, definitely. You, you kind of have to wonder if they consulted with him on that one. Like they just they just recorded him going off and just put it on the page. And see, that's that's what I was wondering in a lot of this is how much input did Ali have? Did he actually oh. provide his own dialogue or? That I don't know, but I do know they had, 
you know, total, uh, you know, total rights to reject anything that they thought was inappropriate or that they didn't like. Yeah, let's be fair in this situation. Superman's awesome. DC Comics is awesome. They're, Muhammad Ali's kind of doing him a favor with this book <laughs> when you really think about it. So, right. you know, he's you know he's the one that's going to get to to kind of you know have the last say in how he's per- portrayed. Which you know, to be fair, as much you know as he was a, a an athlete, he was also somebody who knew how to market himself. Oh, so no question. So this would be just another example of that where he would want control over it. Right. But, uh, now, we get the reveal here eventually that uh, Bundini, or whatever the hell his name is, is Superman all along. But he has a lot of internal dialogue. You know, he's, he's you know, we're privy to his thoughts. And this is not Superman's thought patterns. This is not the way Superman thinks with, you know, saying things like Lotza and Ada and stuff like that. So, yeah, they pull the faster on the reader with that. He calls the guy the, a meatball when he punches him out <laughs> and stuff. I'm like, yeah, that, okay. Yeah, well, I kind of had that same struck, feeling. Superman huh? always struck me as method. Right. So, <laughs> you know, when he's playing a role, you know, he, he's like Jim Carrey on the on the set of any film. So, right. I, I do love on page 53, he leaps forward to fly because he's just so used to it. Right. And thank God there was a light bridge. Yeah. Um, but I just love that. I almost killed myself. A lifetime of having superpowers has ruined me for this sort of thing. And it's one of those times, and it's and it's one of those examples of when people are like, well, Superman's too powerful, and you can't write him, and you can't do this. It's like, no, this humanized the character. Now, if there hadn't been a light bridge, as he fell to his death, would he have yelled out, I regret nothing? <laughs> I can see my house from here. <laughs> I can see Krypton from here. Well, also... But, uh, this begs the question of wait, I thought Superman was was you know beat up and comatose and everything. So was he faking that or no? Or when, he, when he takes off the Bundini brown mask, you could see his eyes are still blackened and stuff. He's just he's just somewhat recovered. That right? is such a comic book thing. The mask right. is so perfect. Yeah, the <laughs> right. text looks just like regular. You know, it's. it's Maybe better as if it was Batman, because then the horns would be under there. Right. <laughs> and it's just I like... That. <laughs> it's one of those things, you either accept it, or you complain about it. And if you complain about it, you have no business reading Bronze Age comics, is, is all I'm going to say about that. So. I like the shot when he takes out the two guys with one kick. Oh, Basically, yeah. He gets one under the jaw, and he hits him so hard that his that as he goes backward, he clunks heads with the other guy, and they both are unconscious. I think that that's a really cool shot. Very well drawn too. I uh I, I wonder on page fifty four at what point Luther actually said to Superman like taking candy from a baby. <laughs> right. So and he kissed his fist. <laughs> ah. No, the uh the fight Muhammad Ali's fight, the artwork is just so interesting. The page layouts and the way like on page fifty five, the way, you know, Scrub looks as he's holding it panels that look like well that middle one looks like photo reference uh but uh no it's just what i was struck with at the at the at the back end of this book is how the art just went from really good to epic i mean on page 57 the shot of all those ships flying towards earth is just amazing 
and Superman's battle. Mm. Oh God, on page 58, that shot of him flying on that bottom panel is just like, you know, you hear the Williams theme. Well, what about on 61, the picture of him in the explosion? Uh Uh-huh. With his hair hair standing on end, basically. I I just think that's incredible. I think he looks a little bit like the Earth 2 Superman there because of the way the uh, it makes it looks like he has the sideburns because of the light. He's got the Mike Bailey gray temples. Yes. Uh, I love this because this reminds me very, very much of something that actually would have come out right around this same time. Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes number 236 had multiple stories in it. And one of them was a little eight page story called Monel's One Man War. And it was uh, penciled by Mike Netzer. And it's phenomenally drawn. And it, man, it, it so reminds me of this sequence right here because it's it's one of the rare chances that you ever see for one of these mega powerful beings like Superman, you know, here or Monel in that story where they just get to unleash. And you see how powerful they really are when they can really let loose. And I love this. This this sequence on uh, on page 60 where Superman is going as a battering ram and he's just smashing through this ship and he uses the whatever the hell that thing is, the warp core or whatever, and he, he flings it like a Frisbee and takes out another warship. And I, God damn, that's cool. You I just I I love the art. On What's that? that? On that page, on, on page 60, when he's flying the thing up as a battering ram, I heard that music cue from Superman 2 where Lois is like, a bomb, it's a bomb up there, and he takes right. the, yeah. the elevator of the mm-hmm. Eiffel Tower and flies it up. That's, yeah. that, that's exactly what I heard on this. Yep. And you could even play that further because the music of him getting caught in the explosion mm-hmm. plays into him getting caught in the explosion. It yeah. actually works. Absolutely. Yeah. It's gorgeous. No, that, that's the moment. Be, be, I am, you know, I, I, I'm not trying to bring this up because I don't want to get us off on a rant here. But I have been so depressed as a Superman fan lately that seeing this sequence of him just whooping up on these aliens and just in in all of his glory just made me so happy. It yep. like I, I like found my center again. It was just so nice to see. <laughs> I agree. And while that's going on, we also have the as as we. T- discussed earlier in the book we have the uh the contrast superman's in the epic space battle uh you know on a galactic scale while ali is down in the ring fighting hunya and hunya. Where, where he's clearly outclassed size and strength wise uh he eventually overcomes him based on skill and determination and just knocks him out of the ring it's great right into jimmy's lap but jimmy you know, having been turned into a turtle boy and a werewolf doesn't really care. He's, you know, like, <laughs> this, this is Tuesday to Jimmy at this point. So I like but, that Austin has signed the, whatever that is, the Seven Eleven cup or right there, Slurpee <laughs> cup or whatever. He signed it. That's great. I just, I just, oh, yeah, I cool. just I love that. that. Oh, I'm sorry. I said I hadn't noticed that. That's very cool. Mm-hmm. I love that the crowd turns on Scrub when he says this changes nothing. Mm-hmm. Like, everyone's just like, wait, what, what? Like, you know, we we had a deal here. And 65, that look on Superman's face, got to think, got to think is just amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, on, in, in the, on 64, the page of Scrub in the middle, or the picture of Scrub in the middle, does that not look like a Bill Sienkiewicz picture? 
Yeah. A little bit. Yeah, I'd, I'd go with that. You know, it's one of my least favorite images in the mo- in the book. So that would fit <laughs> I, with you the, know, I actually, I'm sorry, Mike. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I, I would not be surprised at all to find out someday that this was a many hands project because there's a number of pages and, and images in this book where I can see other inkers. Because I forgot to mention it, but way back on 38, the splash page of Superman on the gurney, I'd swear that Superman himself is inked by Frank Miller right there. Because that really reminds me of those covers that were on Superman the Secret Years. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it really looks like that to me. Um, You're right, Paul, that one looks like Sienkiewicz. And then the picture that Mike was talking about on page 65 of Superman with his gritted teeth and all that, and he's going, got to think, got to think, really looks to me like it's inked by Bernie Wrightson. So I totally would not be surprised to find out that there were some some secret... you know, well, some that, work going on here with, with other folks. And with this being the high-profile book that it was, it does kind of lend itself to that theory. I mean, we mm-hmm. don't have anything to back it up, but right. it I, sure I mean, looks it, like it. it. But it's it's just like when, you, when we talked about Superman versus the Amazing Spider-Man. Right. I mean, there are shots that that's Neil Adams drawing. Oh, yeah. 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 That's not nothing against Ross Andrew, who I like as an artist. But no, it's just obvious. Well, uh, and it, and it could be exactly what Scott said that it's you know all Neil Adams penciling, mm-hmm, but maybe absolutely. a couple of guys came in just to do the inking, right? You know, just give me a page or just give me an image. Or yeah, whatever. just give me a panel. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm. That's what I'm saying. Because what it what it could have also been possibly is that Neil Adams penciled it and then gave it to several artists in continu- in his continuity studio, right? To ink. So that's why it might look a little different. You know, maybe those people you mentioned, but maybe some of the inconsistencies are that he gave it to the people that worked for him at the time. Right. But I, I don't see, I don't see the inconsistencies as a negative in this book. No, not at all. Not no. at all. It, it really just kind of, uh, you know, like the contrast isn't so stark that it takes you out of the story at all. Right. But there is some contrast. Now it's either. In, in my mind, it's either that they we do have the super secret inkers that we didn't know about, or we have the inkers who decided, hey, let's make this an homage to this guy, or you know that right. kind of thing, which which very well could be the case as well. At the, of- and on sixty four at the top panel, doesn't that look very very similar to the Neil Adams Green Arrow Green Lantern book where they concentrate on the overpopulation? Right. Yeah. A little bit. I, I'll go with that. Well, you know, so much praise gets heaped on George Perez, and rightly so, for being able to draw, you know, massive crowds of, of people and especially heroes and everything that sometimes I think that uh, Adams doesn't get enough uh, praise for being able to do that as well. Because, I mean, look at that crowd scene, man, and the level of detail in there. That's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Now, also on page 65, just before you get to that gritted teeth panel of Superman, when he's punching the the bolts that's coming out of that ship could that possibly uh, be an homage to the old Fleischer cartoons with the electrothanasia ray because that's kind of what it reminds me of right there i'd be down for that it does look like it so i would not be at all surprised and i think neil adams was or is a uh, a student of other work and and enjoys putting it into his work when he can so right I would not be in the slightest bit surprised if you're accurate on that one 
I love the the double page, the half page splash on the next page of Superman doing uh, and he's smashing through all the. <laughs> he's Arnold great. pulling the thing. But <laughs> <laughs> even the top half of that, with the way the panels are broken down, that's that's mm-hmm. classic Neil Adams. Right. You know, you even to the shot Nothing. where he's getting shot from behind and his foot is is bleeding onto the next panel. Right. Mm-hmm. That's, There's that, nothing wrong with what's going on on these two pages. It's just, there's just, it's just so beautiful. I just, I just have this in my mind, like this, this fantasy of of owning the original artwork from any page in this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would not I need to to get another piece of original art for the rest of my life. I would not be surprised at all to see the words Pan Am on any of those spaceships on the bottom of page <laughs> six. Word. It gives me a last Starfighter feel. Yeah. When he unleashes Death Blossom and takes everything. <laughs> death Blossom. Super Death Blossom. <laughs> Superman smash. I uh, <laughs> I love Hunya turning on Scrub. Yep. Fool. Uh, I pity the fool. Hunya becomes Mr. T. Fool. Okay. <laughs> what the hell name? What 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 kind of species name? Is, is Scrub the name of the species or the name Scrub of the guy? Scrub is the species. Yeah, it's yeah, the species. What kind of name is that for a species? <laughs> the guy's name was Ratlar. He's he's, he's kind of he's kind of abrasive. So super scrub, soft scrub. <laughs> soft. Soft. Oh god, it's all dry and it's and it, and it doesn't and you have to rinse it like thoroughly. It's really oh god, I hate soft scrub. <laughs> sorry, soft. sorry to bring back all those bad memories. <laughs> but it's it's interesting how how Hunya becomes uh, basically the leader of the people once he takes out Ratlar. Right. Uh, considering he w- he was apparently genetically engineered just to be a fighter. He's a test tube baby. But now yeah. but now he's 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 in charge. Well, it's like in charge. Jimmy Olsen one thirty three where he takes out, you know, those two guys and becomes leader of the outsiders, uh, you know, w- w- when he's hanging out with the newsboy legion. So oh, kinda, yeah. it kinda makes sense there. I like how he's wearing a woman's nighty on page seventy. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. This. But is anybody going to make fun of him? I mean, seriously. I guess not. You know, <laughs> he's he's quite quite a bit better spoken than uh, than they led you to believe leading up to this point. Right. Yes. Yeah, suddenly he's like, you know, it's quite articulate. He's on, he's on uh, the actor's studio. He has. Oh, you underestimate the scrub, my friend. Our leader had us convinced that Earthlings were dishonorable and warlike. You know. <laughs> So you're saying he should be voiced by James Lipton? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so, suddenly he's the ultra humanite from uh, from that Christmas episode. Yeah. <laughs> so then all is well in the world, and we have our final scene of Superman and Ali, where basically Ali, you know, says says he figured out that he's Clark Kent, and Superman doesn't even try and uh, come up with a way to, you know, he doesn't try to no prize it away at all. Superman's like, what? And then they go catch a burger with Lois Lane and Mary Jane Watson. The end. <laughs> and we end with the double page splash of the two of them shaking hands and Ali declaring that they are the greatest. It doesn't Muhammad Ali look like? I know it's Neil Adams, but it's kind of it looks like he's got a touch of burn to him. You see, like a little, a little John Burn there. A little bit around the eyes. Well, at this point, Burn could have inked something. Also, you never know. Well, Byrne, just... if I'm not mistaken, in in his early days, wasn't Byrne something of a of a uh, an Adams? Uh, I don't want to say imitator, but you know, uh, acolyte, or you know, because there was that that wave of 
of artists that kind of came on the heels of of Neil Adams that were at, when they first started out kind of aping his style a little bit until they developed their own style. And I, I think mm. Byrne has admitted before that, uh, you know, that he's an Adams fan and that, you know, he was borrowing a bit in the beginning. Cause let me see 70, this is what 77. It's the end of 77. The book is actually dated 78. So Byrne would have at this time had Byrne even made a splash yet. I'm thinking Byrne was still working at, Charlton in 77, wasn't he? No, he was drawing the X-Men by this Had point. Had he hit X-Men by oh, that yeah. point? Oh, okay. God, yes. Yeah, okay. he, he was he was doing Iron Fist in like 75, 76, I thought. I think oh, no, so. you're right. Yeah, because I'm looking here. I just happened to be... Uh, the hell was the comic that I had just looked up? I looked up something here that was... seven. Oh, I looked up that Superboy issue because I knew I wanted to mention that Mon-El story. Yes, and that was November of 77. And yeah, Byrne was, uh, he did X-Men 109, the one where, uh, where what's-his-face, uh, Gladiator, or not Gladiator. Um, Guardian. Guardian, rather, comes back and knocks the daylights out of Wolverine on the cover. So yeah, you're right. I See, I always think of Byrne's run on uh, X-Men and Fantastic Four as being like early to mid-80s. But yeah, this is much earlier than I, I had remembered it to be. You're I right. He got he went on Fantastic Four in 1981 and left in 86. Right. he was on there for a, for a little over five years. Right. So yeah, his run on uh, is on X Men is even earlier than I thought. Because I, 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 I like I say, I always thought of that as uh, as eighties stuff. So yeah, huh. We'll have to. They, they so can that's, address that's that very on possible then. Burn. What's that? I said they can address that on third degree burn <laughs> when they hear this. I am very anxious for that show to hit. That's going to be good stuff. Yeah. Well, having had the advantage of being able to listen to episode one before it posts. Uh, I gotta say, I really enjoyed it, and I hope they develop an audience because it's a, it's a good topic, it's good guys, and it's a good show. Right. Yeah. All that said, I guess uh, we could give our closing thoughts on this book. I, I, I don't uh, doubt, you know, it's, I don't think we need to give this one grades. No. Why not? If you want, go ahead. <laughs> um. Yeah, I'll give it a I'll give it a quick grade. A uh, cover, I would grade as. Uh, I'd grade it pretty much, uh, I'll say an A. I, I always think there's a little bit of room for improvement. There is a lot of negative space at the top. As you said before, it's tough to tell that it is kind of a space arena here because, you know, the, the wording and everything kind of blocks things out a little bit. But uh, I think it's a classic cover, so I'd give it a straight-up A. Um, the artwork, I, I'd give a straight-up A+. Plus. I mean, I, I couldn't find really a single panel in the whole thing that I thought, eh, that doesn't look right or that's wonky or whatever. There's there's just so many panels that I'm like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. I mean, it's just it's beautiful. I love Adam's Superman. He just looks fantastic. So the arts, yeah, it's great. Uh, it's really the story that would get the lower grade for me. Story-wise, I would probably give it a... I don't know. I'd probably give it a C because, as you say, it's not a bad story. It's just not a great story either. It's not. It's not even a particularly good story. Uh, I think you called it, Paul. I think it's very much. It's a Bob Haney, Brave and the Bold story in a lot of ways. So yeah, I'd say right a middle of the road C because it it's not not great and it's not bad. It's just kind of it exists and it uses a lot of you know, wacky tropes to, to just bring these two together to, to do what they need to do, which is, you know, beat the hell out of each other and, and defeat the aliens. So, yeah. On, you know, so it's, it's the story that's, 
the weak point of it, but everything else, you know, it, it's a classic. Okay. Uh, I'm going to jump in second since we are now giving it grades. Uh, <laughs> I'm giving the cover an A+. And I don't have the uh, the negative for the negative space that you do because I think it's used properly. I don't think this is supposed to be sold as a space tale. And I think that's why the, uh, the, the space stuff, if it even does become uh, obvious at all, it's based on the back part of the two-page spread cover. Uh, the front page has front and center Ali and Superman exactly the way it's supposed to do. And then when you combine that with all the different celebrities that are in the crowd and how well they're drawn, I got to say A plus all around. Uh, the interior art, uh, I, I think it's incredible. I think it's one of the greatest stories ever uh, as far as the artistic renditions go. I think you're using a live character and mixing them in with fictional characters and making it seamless. Uh, I think the, the angle choices are not run-of-the-mill and they're incredibly dynamic the panel layouts the renderings everything about it is just top-notch a plus on the interior artwork the story i'm not quite as down on as you are i think getting superman to fight muhammad ali is a silly concept and i don't think there's a way to unsilly it um so I do think there's a couple of weaknesses. There's a couple of points where I was ready to call bullshit. So for that, I'm, I'm knocking it down to a B. But I think it is a B story. Something I just thought of. <laughs> I'm actually kind of surprised this didn't happen. What would you have thought of if they had used actually a, a well-worn Superman trope of, say, the Silver Age and somehow during the course of the story found a way to give Muhammad Ali Superman's powers? No, I like it better the way they did it. <laughs> I, I think that could have been interesting, if, even if just for a couple of pages. If they ever decided to do a sequel to this, I think that's the way you'd have to go. I'm surprised there wasn't a sequel ever to this, to be frank. I, I think this was a huge seller at the time. I don't oh, know yeah, what, what the huge, sales figures yeah. are, but I think it was huge. And and at a two fifty price tag, at, at that day and age, it was a lot of money. Mm-hmm. The sequel would be Superman versus Mike Tyson. Hey, Superman. I still say Batman versus Muhammad Ali could have been a hell of a good book. <laughs> Bill or Mike, one of you guys want to jump on? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to really add anything new to the discussion other than... What else uh, is new? Hey, hey, blow it out your... Hey, you son of a... Yeah, yeah. Just for that, I'll snore louder next time we're together. <laughs> um, He's not going to cuddle with you anymore afterwards. No, no more spooning. For you. Or as uh, Hero says, ladling. <laughs> <laughs> That's just not right. Um, yeah, the cover is an A+. And the interior art is is right up there as well. I Even for all the crazy Haney stuff in the story, I, I, I think I'm going to... I'm actually going to give it an A for, for the story. Because I just ha- had a good time reading it. I mean, it's... And, and it's, you know, the whole... With... Well, with Muhammad Ali triumphing with this human spirit, it's just that's what raises it up for me is is the very end. So I'm I'm gonna give it an A all around. I'm gonna be different. You're different, all right. Ah, yeah. <laughs> I must wish. Uh, I must wish. Uh... Paul and I were a little more on the ball that when he goes different, all right, we could do like in the Popeye movie uh, where they're doing the song. He's large. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> You know, I, I I really I wasn't preparing to grade this, 
because I think this type of project defies that sort of thing. Uh, in all honesty, I, I think when you're talking about this, you're not talking about a normal comic, uh, you're, you're, which is kind of different. And on that level, I got to kind of judge it differently. You know, the problems that are in the story kind of almost have to be there. So it's hard to really, you know, critique it like that. Uh, I will give the cover an A. Problem with the cover is that Muhammad Ali looks photorealistic and Superman looks kind of like a cartoon. Uh, he doesn't look bad. He just looks cartoonish, and it and it throws off the the balance of the page. Otherwise, everything else on the on the cover is great. Uh, the interior art is a plus all the way. Uh, I I think that's what carried this through. And I'll give the story a B plus simply because the guy turning out to be intelligent at the end did kind of throw me a little bit. But uh, no, I, I, I guess that. Average out to be like an A, just a regular A. Okay, so that's our take on Superman versus Muhammad Ali. Join us next week when we will come back and do some other epic book. I say we do the or next not. great Superman versus Superman versus Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. Why that never happened is a tragedy on the scale. Well, I was about to make a really insensitive joke there and decided against it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, just wait till you hear about the projects we came up to do for Christmas uh, this year. <laughs> Oops, that was a kind of evil, e- evil sounding laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I think she'd end it out, end this off with us each doing our evil, laugh, maniacal. <laughs> 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 okay, <laughs> I have to. <clears throat> mine's a little different because I got to get into it. It's like. <laughs> <laughs> Mine is more of a Simon by Sinister. <laughs> Mine's uh, kind of like Jerry Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> and the pain and the pain that hype me. The pain and the Superman and the punching. Oh, wow. Why do I even try to anyway. do impressions with Bill here? <laughs> anyway, I'm hoping for 200 more episodes at a minimum. Holy All right, crap. but not tonight because I got to yeah. go to bed. I got to work in the morning. Yep. Yeah, we all we all have to get up for work in the morning. So it's been a lot of fun, guys. It has. Oh yeah, that was great. Have a good night, and uh, like I said, two hundred more. Yep. Woo-hoo. All right, I'll see you guys later. All right, talk to you later, guys. Right. Bye, everybody. Good night. Bye. Good night, Doctor Nick. So long.
Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks section of www.forumforgeeks.com. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.libsyn.com and is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com slash league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcasts.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Give me some lovin'. Uh, yeah. <laughs>